Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Graham. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Ricky Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We are gathered here today to finally review... Uh, the- uh, Uh-oh, what happened? I was laughing at your joke. Which joke? <laughs> We're gathered here today. It's from Let's Go Crazy, you know? <laughs> Duh. Okay. We are gathered here today to finally review the Purple Rain Deluxe Edition Disc 2. The moment everyone around the world has been waiting for, all the Prince fans around the world, all the casual, the hardcore, everyone who picked up this set, I think would have been very, very intrigued by what was on Disc 2 because it was uh, aptly titled The Vault and Unreleased Material. Many songs that had never been heard before, some that had, but we're about to get into all that sort of detail as we get into the show. But before we do that, here's the Peach and Black panel. Player. You cannot build a house with plastic wood. Toe Jam. I'm I'm really happy, really. And uh, Captain. Eat up all my cookies until he gets fat. And I'm Rob S. in the place to be, the Peach and Black panel, the virtual roundtable, and I'm actually trying to figure out what everyone's intro was because I haven't picked up any of the references at the moment. <laughs> guilty. I'm guilty. Charge me guilty. But um, look, we, we are here to talk about Disc 2, as I said, on the Purple Rain Deluxe Edition, and I can't wait to get into this. We already reviewed the Purple Rain Remaster. We reviewed the B-sides and the single edits. Our review of the Syracuse show will be coming up in a future episode, so keep your eyes and your ears peeled for that one. And now we're about to get into this vault and unreleased material, which is, I'll just say it's as exciting as it is, it's kind of bittersweet that we had to wait until Prince's sad passing to hear it, but at the same time, we've been blessed with all of this incredible material. And in saying that, I think we all knew that there would the day would come at some point in the future when this sort of stuff would start coming out and potentially it may have been happening after Prince left the physical domain and transcended into eternity which is which has you know come to pass and now we're left as fans to deal with listening to unreleased material the very first time and we didn't want to come out with this review straight away um a lot of people have written articles other podcasts big ups to everyone who's put in effort into talking about this album and reviewing it it's been fantastic to you know check everyone's thoughts out and we just wanted to do it as much justice as we could in fact we wanted to even push it back further because we've been jamming on this stuff and 
writing notes, copious notes, and and just listening and re-listening and discovering and rediscovering this music in the last few weeks. But uh, we we didn't want to leave it too late because we've been hammered by listeners and fans of the Peach and Black podcast asking us when's it coming out. You know, you've re- you've talked about the remaster and disc three. We want to hear your thoughts on disc two. So here it is. We're going to go track by track in classic Peach and Black podcast fashion, but in similar classic fashion. Before we go into the track by track, I'm going to hand it over to the guys to give their, I guess, first impressions, overall summary, and anything anyone wants to say up front about disc two from the Purple Rain Deluxe set. I'll hand it over in order of introduction to uh, Player. What are your, I guess, overall general thoughts about this before we go into the uh, song by song reviews? I'm exactly like you. I'm very mixed in hearing this. Like, this is the part of me that's the. Um sport prince fan that wants to hear everything that prince released there's the other part of me that knows that there's songs on here that prince didn't want released and there's kind of like a part of me that thinks like i shouldn't be hearing this and then then there's another part of me that knows that some of these songs aren't even intended for the purple rain project so it's kind of like yeah i mean that's great that they're here but like is it really intended for this kind of thing so there's a part of me that thinks it's a bit patchy in terms of the song selection but yeah it's very mixed experience listening to this I find. okay interesting interesting this, this might be a very interesting show now that i've heard that opinion toe jam what are your overall thoughts on this uh player pretty much nailed it i think it is mixed is the best word quality of the songs i will get to but yeah the package as a whole is should these songs be here what's going on with the quality i mean I suspect that most of these are sourced from a cassette tape rather than the actual original tapes, which kind of makes me scared. It makes me think, well, what what's happened to those original tapes? Do they exist? And is anyone taking care of them? Is this the best we have of these songs? So it, it's kind of scary in that respect. But then the quality of the songs is, is so, uh, well, you'll find out. So it is kind of a mixed listen, listening to this. All right, all right, all right. Captain, round out the thoughts of the panel, I should say, with your overall general impressions. Okay, so Moonbeam levels aside, this is the first, what is it, posthumous, posthumous official release of unreleased music from the vault. So for all those people who have been asking Peach and Black for years and years, when are you going to start talking about unreleased stuff? Well, this is <laughs> technically, idiot. this is sort of it. <laughs> We're doing what you want, sort of. Even though now it's officially released, doesn't matter. Yeah, like Player said, not all of these tracks are probably specifically from the Purple Rain era even but that's that's fine look this is what i want to say about the sound quality of the tracks on this disc and i just want to say this now sound quality listen listen (laughs) basically it is what it is that's what i'm going to say we don't know 100 percent for sure or even two percent for sure where these tracks actually were sourced from whether they came from the vault itself which is unlikely or these are just from yeah like toe jam said cassette tape sitting in warner brothers basement we don't know so instead of me commenting on sound quality on every track, I'm just going to say it is what it is, and I'm just going to review the songs as they are, and it is what it is. Um, a lot of these are in better quality than what have been circulating with people, and from that perspective, sure, these versions are a welcome upgrade. Could this release have been handled better? Definitely. Could we have had better quality tracks, better mixes? Very likely, but again, it is what it is. So there we go. So I'm not going to say anything else about the sound quality. I've had my rant. I'm going to hold you to that. There is, there is, <laughs> there is one track. There is one track. I'll say something <laughs> and that's it. The other thing I've got to say is 
it's it's almost like I don't know. I feel like we have to review these tracks to like a different standard as we have with anything else that's been officially released up till now. These tracks were deemed by Prince himself not whether that was not good enough or it just didn't fit on any project ever. So I find it a bit hard for me to see them in any other light than that. So like as bootlegs, tracks like these, there's this sort of mystique. It's an unreleased thing and it's the forbidden fruit and the quality might not have been great, but it was tolerated. But now they're here officially released. It's like a different sort of thing to review them. But anyway, that's all I got to say. I find it really interesting to hear everyone's thoughts and We've said this on the show a number of times. Every time we sit down to record an album review, we don't compare notes. We don't share notes. No one knows what anyone is going to say. And it's all happening live and in the moment for the four of us. And I'm surprised by the, it sounds like you guys, you three, are fairly lukewarm, generally speaking, about this. Now, we haven't, I know we haven't started talking about the music, but about all the other elements, whether songs that are on this disc should have been included the sound quality, the overall packaging, where they've been sourced from and all this sort of stuff. I guess for me, I don't really care at all in the sense that this is supposed to be from the vault and unreleased. So the way I see this disc, I see it very, very differently from disc one, the official album, obviously. And I see it very differently from the the B-sides and the singles. And this is really the first time ever, ever that I can think of outside of the crystal ball project that was released while prince was alive that something like this sort of unreleased sessions or unreleased projects or parts of projects have been put on an album and uh, put out into the public so for me everything is great like i'm just happy to have this disc in my possession i was not expecting it to be a for every song to be a pristine exceptionally mastered piece of music like i think the title from the vault and unreleased implies that it could be demos there could be unfinished songs there could be stuff that was worked on that never came out maybe it hasn't been mixed and i kind of like the fact that the very first release by warner brothers i think they've done a few things wrong but the one thing that they've done right in my opinion with this disc especially is that there's no like there's no bs there's no you know will i am was brought in to remix something there's no <laughs> current revolution going in to work on tracks adding parts do you get what i'm saying like this hasn't been tampered with as far as i'm aware and we've been given an insight into the vault so for me i see it as a true vault release even though it's on an official release now it's like what you would get if you spent a few hours in the vault let's say each of us got like 60 minutes to like pick 12 tracks and we just have to like we're there with a basket and we're just collecting like tapes and stuff <laughs> and we, we we can walk out that's the way i see it so it's like I don't really care about any of the other stuff. I am just happy that this stuff has come out of the vault and we really don't know how it worked. Like, did Prince give them this material with his blessing? I mean, with some of this stuff, to player's point, I doubt it. (laughs) There's some some songs on here that I think you would have been very... If that was the case, they would have completely advertised that. Yes. It would have been like... This is what Prince gave us for the Purple Rain remaster, and it was his decisions. And this, these are the songs that he wanted released. And the fact they haven't done that means that you know, there's, this, I don't think he wants. Just like songs. the way they touted it on CD one, overseen by exactly. Prince. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's basically those are my general thoughts without going into the specifics of the music. I, I'm, I just feel like this is cool, 
it's almost like a bootleg release. Absolutely. But it's come out but it's come out officially. Don't get me wrong. Going back to what you said before, I just wanted to get my little whinge done at the start. <laughs> Most of what I've got to say about the rest of the disc is a lot better. I just wanted okay. to get that done. I don't disagree with with what anyone has said. If this album wasn't advertised as from the vault and unreleased material, and instead it said Roadhouse Garden, fully completed unreleased revolution album, and the issues that are on that we're dealing with from that perspective, like chronologically and sound quality wise, and how they're mastered and edited, and that was the same situation on an unreleased project or a project that's that was touted as unreleased and then Warner Brothers put it out. In other words, if this was a studio album sitting on Prince's <laughs> shelf and it came out in this fashion, I'd be disappointed. But I just think this is a random collection of songs and it gives people an insight into what was happening. And the other thing I will say is that some of these songs, I, I believe, are demos. They may have been mixed. Yeah, there's a few that they definitely sound like they're not finished, like there was more to be done and it just never happened. Hmm. We'll get into all that good stuff, but I'm just happy to have this in my hot little hands. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's about it. Let's, let's go as, into the as, track, as, track. Opposed, as opposed to the remaster. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my thoughts. Let's go into the music. This set opens up with a song entitled The Dance Electric. Whenever uh, you say that name, you have to say that. It has to accompany it. I think there's no option who has to go first on this. Yeah. <laughs> Player? Is that Why am, I, am I picking up the right vibes here? Player, take it away. Okay, first off, the cut is... Like, when the song starts, there's a cutoff at the start. It's a bit jarring. What happened there? You guys picked that up? Yeah, it just cuts straight in. It cuts, yeah. It's like the tape that they were using... The start of it was maybe disintegrated or something, so they had to start it a little bit into the track. I think that drum loop was already going, and like someone's like, "Quick, press record." That's why it just cuts in. The but song like, was already going. But doesn't um, the Andre Simone version like have a like it a proper the start? Same, doesn't it? I can't remember. I think it has a proper start from memory. Yeah, on yeah. on on the album AC. Yeah, you know they should maybe polish it off to. It is what it is. A, yeah. Okay. But it's great to have a Prince vocal version of this song. I wish the doo-doo-doo part was a bit higher in the mix. You can hear he's clearly enjoying himself during recording this track. At 548, he says, it's getting funky in here. And it definitely is. But around that time, that's, that's the song's pretty much done. You can look at it, this as like a 12-inch version almost. If this was cut down and put on an album and then this actual track was the 12-inch, like that's what it sounds like. Because this is stretching to nearly just over 11 minutes, nearly 12 minutes. You know, another long extended songs on you know that is used as album tracks like for example come it kind of <laughs> it kind of climaxes <laughs> but on this track <laughs> you know it's it's kind of look at you go you're enjoying enjoying yourself aren't you <laughs> it's, it's relentless you know the beats the same but you know it doesn't really sort of go anywhere it's kind of it's repeats all the way through so you know, it's sort of a little bit outstays its welcome, but it's it's a fantastic track. It's really good. The beat is just awesome. I love the Better Love Each Other repeated outro. It's kind of like Prince sending a message to us from beyond. 
the packaging listed as an August 83 recording, but it's actually August 84. So as great as it is to have, it seems it wasn't intended for Purple Rain. So all of all, it's of the era, but not of the project. But I'm happy to have the Prince version of this. What something player just said reminded me. I read, I think it was on Prince.org, somebody said about this track. This song, you know, it's too long. It goes nowhere and it takes a long time getting there. I thought that's a good <laughs> quote. That's a good quote. Now, every time I put it on, I turn it up. Like it's, it's the jam of a song. It's great. In terms of what Prince wanted and didn't want, I don't know if he would want this on here because, you know, he's already given it to Andre Simone. But then again, you know, he revived this for the 2012 Australian tour and it sounded really good. Those and, versions um, were, were great, weren't they? The, the oh, live, yeah. hearing this live. Yeah. Oh. So there's, there's a part of me that thinks that he would do his own version of it probably have the doodaloo up more in the mix maybe it was <laughs> yeah the, 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 the doodaloo is is way yeah. too uh, it's buried in the mix it's buried yeah but um it's just like what are your wooden he but i think this is one of the ones he'd maybe approve of you know well i mean he did that with nothing compares to you he gave it away and later he reclaimed, reclaimed it, it like and actually released well. it and released yeah. it on the hits b-sides yeah and yeah shush as well yeah yeah um on the gold experience that was what yeah. tevin campbell's album yeah plus around 2009 around that era he did all day all night you know oh so, yeah yeah the guy's got yeah. just so much top shelf music it's ridiculous i know we've said that a thousand times but it's, it's kind of crazy all right well the count to that might be captain's opinion captain take it away okay i like the fact that they started off this whole disc with a long jam because that's what he does I like he's got the normal vocal in the verses, but that's also doubled with a falsetto, but that's sort of mixed pretty quietly, but it's there if you can hear it. The actual song feels like it, it could fade out at about 340, 345. Like Player said, if this was a single, that'd be the single, but then you've got the extended version. But yeah, after that, it sort of gets funky after that. There's got that synth bass and there's some cool little guitar stuff at 355. There's some big synth notes. Some nice synth stuff comes in at 412. There's a funky little groove starts off with some guitar at 537. And I think player said, you know, he starts calling out revolution and getting funky about six minutes and he's just shouting out stuff. That sounds really good. And there's some funky vocal bits at 726. I got lots of times in here. Yeah. And there's a few Lindrum pads getting hit all over the place. And then it just sort of jams out until the end. Well, for the majority of the song, really. I was never really a big fan of this track overall. Like the Andre Simone version, I'm just like, yeah, it's okay. It's it wasn't a like a favorite song. Even the long version, like I remember Andre put a like a long version up, you know, a few years ago, and it was good, but it didn't blow my head off. And this is similar. It might be because it's not fully finished. It doesn't have all those like extra little things that we're used to hearing in fully completed release tracks. But um. I like they started off with a good long jam, even though it might be a bit too long, but it's still good. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on the Dance Electric? Uh, the first thing I think of is the word groove. It just grooves so hard. You can just imagine that you can see it visually, the, the vinyl spinning around, the record needle just scratching <laughs> into that thing. The drum pattern and the bass just sound so locked in and together. And it's yep. so cool that it can run for like just 12 minutes and you don't feel it getting overly repetitive. This was released by Andre Simone, as everyone's talked about, in 85 with a video. 
it wouldn't surprise me if Prince did re-record this around maybe in 2010, 2011, when he was started to do some of those re-recordings of those older tracks like Extra Lovable, etc. And so the fact that he brought this song back live, like it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case with this one. The drum pattern has that echo sound on it, which reminds me a lot of Mountains. It's got that Lindrum with that big snare drum that echoes on. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I love the like the seeping keys all the all the way through this. You got these seeping like synth notes, synth chords. And this song, like so many songs from this era, is another song about the apocalypse, you know, the coming apocalypse. And it starts off with Prince saying, Our world has fallen, it's almost time to go. You know, we're living in Babylon. It's you gotta love your enemies. Like this is very much on Prince's mind, like this idea that, you know, the shit's about to go down and you've got to be right <laughs> and you've got to be with Jesus and love your enemies. So You know, I think uh, you need to make like a an apocalypse compilation mc get, get your sequencing fingers ready okay <laughs> let's Captain, make I'll, I'll i'll tap rob s on the shoulder and, and ask him i'll see if he's <laughs> if he's got the energy to put one of those together from controversy through to like around the world in the day it's just all there all the time uh which is kind of cool like i like the bass is just staying on that one key the whole way through but then you've got these four chords that are kind of playing so it gives it this kind of it feels stable, but it has this sort of motion that's going through for it. Uh, so the first chord's like a you know in the key minor key. Then the second and the third chord are kind of more suspended, more more out there chords, and then it finishes again on a nice minor chord. So like I said, you've got this. It sounds stable, but you you feel this sense of movement, um, continual movement, which is really cool. The doodle doo is a really catchy hook, and I agree that it would have been better if it was more prominent in the mix. I kind of agree with you guys. It does kind of meander a bit. I, I feel like Prince kind of ran out of ideas a bit on it. The first five minutes are really cool, and then I feel the stuff after that just seems a bit redundant, like the whole the James Brown thing where he's going, ooh, revolution, ooh. Like, to me, it, it kind of loses the seriousness a bit, and it starts to mm. become a bit comical, um, which is actually a shame because up until then, it's, you know, it's this real sort of message kind of song, you know, we've got to love our enemies, uh, this kind of thing. Those electric toms at the end, I don't like them either. They kind of go on a bit too long, and they just kind of get distracting after a while. So I can kind of see why... Maybe this extended version was never released. Now, I haven't listened to the Andre Simone extended version, if I have, not for ages. Is that sim- how, how different is that from this one, I'd like to know? Has anyone got that in their memory? I've got it in my memory. All I can tell you is that the annoying toms aren't there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because <laughs> this one sounds a bit sparser. Like, yeah. Do you guys remember the Box of Chocolate song from the Lotus Flower project? Um, Chocolate Box. Chocolate Box, yeah. There was an extended version of that put up on Lotus Flower, I think. Like, there was an extended version and people mixed them together and all this. And, and that just kind of has the beat and it's kind of like meandering keys and he sort of changes. It's almost like he's flicking through the keyboard sounds, just trying different things. And it kind of has that feel about it. Like, oh, okay, I'll try this now. I'll try that now. So it kind of doesn't go anywhere. But that said, like, the thing with this song is just the groove and it's such a funky groove. I actually like the way it just starts halfway through the bar. You know, just you're into it straight away and you can't get out. So this is this is a real banging song. But obviously, it has some flaws with the extended version that I can see why it may not have been released originally. That, that could just be because it was slightly unfinished as well. Yeah. He might have had, you know, a plan to do this or that at six minutes and just, you know, never got back to it. But who knows? The way I saw it was, even though it's not, like I said, of Purple Rain, it does have like a Purple Rain kind of sound to it. And then I think by this time, he'd moved on to Around the World in a Day. So then... Even though it's a top track, you know, he's given it to Andre. Well, it's interesting. You, know? you say, like, lyrically, you'd say this is mm. definitely Purple Rain lyrically, but sonically, you can definitely hear it kind of moving on to that Around the World in a Day parade kind of sound, especially with that, you know, that reverb on that snare and the echo on the snare, I should say, and the hand claps and that kind of thing. Well, well, well. 
when I saw this song on the track list of disc two, you thought doodle I, <laughs> I did think I did think doodle That was the first thing I thought. The second thing was wow. The third thing I thought was hmm. I wonder which version we are going to get because. The Dance Electric as a song is a stone cold classic. The Andre Simone version, both the album and the extended edit, banging tracks. Really? The Dance Electric live version from Australia, Welcome to Australia Tour in 2012, absolutely ridiculous, yeah. banging. And the Prince versions that we may or may not have heard through various sources are all banging as well. But I've never heard this one before because, of course, it's from the vault and it's unreleased. And I will preface the remainder of my comments by saying that the song itself, like the groove, the message, the way that it's sung, just the whole presentation is absolutely awesome. And I, someone said the first like five and a half minutes are great or something. And then the song kind of finishes or it ends or it doesn't really go anywhere new. Oh, that's I agree three, that's that's three, three, four, three minutes, 45 seconds for you. Yeah, you can hear it. It just sort of there's a perfect spot for a fade out right there. You can hear it. Everything just sort of oh, calms down. No, you can't. It's got to be a bit longer. I got yeah, like five, bit... five and a half minutes. When it starts doing that, better love each other, better love each For me, that's the, that oh, would have been the yeah. natural point of a fade out. Well, for me, the song finishes at the seven and a half minute mark, around the seven minutes, 27 minutes, 30 seconds, in the sense that by then, everything that needed to be done with it is done. At six minutes, Prince's ad-libs are hilarious, like the pseudo James Brown call-outs. They crack me up, but I agree with ToeJam when he says it spoils a song, like it provides comic relief and, and it provides a comic element to a song mm. that really isn't about that and it ruins the mood for yeah, me. Yeah, it's like I'm um, doing a serious song, but then it's like, oh, we're just having a jam. Exactly. It's like <laughs> it's like you're doing the do and someone comes in the room and turns, turns the light on. It's like it just everything, it spoils everything. <laughs> <laughs> the beat and the rhythm is so bloody good though that i almost don't care like this is just such a mega funky track the reverb on the drums is classic this has to be one of my favorite prince songs ever it's wow this, really yeah Ooh. definitely like and i can't believe that the first time that a studio a prince studio version of this was released after his un unfortunate passing i mean so much like b-sides came out Songs on vinyl have come out over the years that haven't been on the B-Sides collection, on the 1993 B-Sides collection, MPG Music Club. Like, there's been so many outlets. Chances, yeah. Yeah, and opportunities for him to put this out at some point. And the best we got was a rehearsal version just before the Welcome to Australia tour in 2012, which is great. But this is the jam. And this is a solo version. So he does everything on here instrumentally outside of the vocals, the vocals, he's got some lovely ladies that help him out, but there's some ridiculous vocal stuff. Like the stuff that you've already, that you guys have mentioned from 720 to 730, 35, actually no one mentioned this yet, but it's the worst part of the song where he's kind of rolling his tongue. He's like, whatever that is. It annoys me. It annoys me. Like it's funny, but it's in the wrong song. Like that would be better placed on some, cuckoo type Sheila E track. Do you know what I mean? Like some Latin gem, but not the a Latin outros. Yeah, exactly. yeah, great. My favorite. And uh, the electric I'm drum pads from 730, they're kind of cool, except they're too flabby. They're really muddy, like obtuse. Like they sound like the cheapest flabby. electronic <laughs> drum set you could possibly buy from like a, a Walmart. Like I don't know how else to describe them. So after a flabby. while, they do become annoying. You can't describe them better than flabby. That's great. But they are flabby. <laughs> 
I would have preferred the later version of this song. Now, every hardcore Prince fan knows there is a definitive version of this track, and it's by Prince, not by Andre. There's no guitar solo on this version. What happened to the guitar solo? There's really no Wendy and Lisa that I can hear. I mean, they're not audible enough. There's Jill jo- a bit of Jill Jones in the background, but again, not enough. It's just the mix is kind of, it buries a lot of the vocals. It's not the definitive version, but it's great to have. And I, I thought my mind would be blown. And for the first four or five minutes, it's kind of getting there. And then I'm let down a little bit. But the reality is that this is such a great track. It's what, like I said, it's one of my favorite Prince I said songs. I should rephrase that. It's one of my favorite Prince jams ever. Like, this is such a funky jam. Was this one of the tracks that Jill was saying she didn't get credit on? I believe or was that something so else? from memory, but it might have been Wonderful Ass, maybe. There was um, multiple tracks she didn't get credit for, and this was yeah. one of them. Okay. Uh-huh. So, f- for me, this song is missing that awesome guitar playing that is on other releases of this that are potentially out there in existence. This is definitely not the definitive version of the song, but it's great to have. I just had a, a brain thought. I get them occasionally. <laughs> I hope your thoughts come from your brain. <laughs> Potentially, this might be like a proto version that no longer exists in the vault, in the actual the actual you know master vault. This might have been like an early version of it that then Prince has worked further on, which mm. he then put on the, the killer guitar solo, which is the one you're referring to, which still remains unreleased. So if there's a master version of this song, like that might be the version. And this one might just be a cassette recording that someone made before, you know, he went back and edited a lot of this stuff. So this might be the only version of this like surviving. I don't know. That's that's a scary thought. I mean, this this kind of sounds like a very well done demo. Mm. Like it's it's got demo-ish qualities in parts of the song. So like I, I love it. Like the thing is, every time I play disc two, I listen to the whole thing. Yes, it does get a little bit long and winded towards the end, but I still, I don't skip it. The beat is so locked in. The groove is so great. The drumming is programming and the, and the pl- playing is solid. It's good. It's great, actually. But it's just not definitive. And that's not taking anything away from the song. It's just taking away a little bit from this version. But you know what? If you would have asked me whether or not we would ever hear the dance electric in this quality, and by quality, I just mean it's cleaned up. Like it's not a bootleg release, it's an official release, regardless of whether it's from a second or third generation tape, who knows? It's still pretty good. I mean, I don't want to do this too much, but it's not the greatest, the dynamic range and the compression and all that. <laughs> it's not, it's not, the, it's not the greatest. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there. It's not the greatest, most dynamically mastered. <laughs> Look, man, music. Bernie could only work with what he was given. Exactly. So I, I get Joshua. I get that. That's right. No, that's, that's, that's all very, very true. So um, what else can I tell you? That's about it. The synths are Should playing the central it. motif. That's way, It's mixed way too low. We've covered that. But um, it's a jam. I mean, you can't, you know, you can almost throw out all the comments that we've just made and go, you know what, guys, forget about it. It's a jam. And just play it loud because it's the only studio release version of this song that's available. So someone said, relentless and that's a really good word for that beat that just does not stop yes it just goes and goes and goes good way it's a good way to describe it and i agree with i think captains made the comment you made the comment about it's a it was a great opener and you're happy that it goes on for this long because that's what he does and i agree it's like Mm. no short little pop ditty single to open this disc too it's like bam almost 11 and a half minutes worth of purple funk 
fantastic. Yep. You know, from that point of yep. view, it's a great album opener. And that's track one done. <laughs> and now, survey and, results. Oh, and now, yes, uh, <laughs> our fans, our listeners, Peach and Black podcast listeners from around the world, I knew have you'd voted. The, the survey is sitting tight with, uh, it's being held by our official survey master player. Open up that envelope player and let us know what the fans said about this track. Okay, I'm opening the envelope. And and it's La La Land. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. <laughs> so I guess we're rating these out of 12 because there's 12 tracks. And the Dance Electric comes fifth. So this Ooh. is fifth highest song at 57%. Wow. Not really surprising. We We... Well, can't speak on everyone's behalf, but I thought it would have been pretty high up there. Yep. I'd probably put it about there. Fantastic. Yeah, round about there. All right, all right. As usual, we've talked way too much on the first track, so let's get on with it. <laughs> now, song number two on this release. It's called Love and Sex. I just want to butt in for one second here, or for a few seconds. When I saw this on the track listing, my mind could not fathom what I was reading. Like, I was like, what? A song that I've never even heard of? Who has actually even heard of this track existing? Not me. <laughs> I'm like, not even a vague, random, drunken rumor has been out there about a song with this title. Like, it was like, what? Love and... Is that actually a real title? I was asking myself, is this even a real title? This doesn't sound like a song by Prince. Love and sex. It's so obvious. But there you have it. It's here. It exists. And whoa, mama. I've got some things to say about it. But before I do, I'm going to hand it over to Toe Jam to lead us off with the, his review of Love and Sex. This is a cool kind of song. It's got a big Vegas um, intro. And then it's, then we're into it. It's got this Tom's fill, this like sampled Tom's fill, which I have a feeling might be the same fill used in the 1999 song, but just starting on a different beat. I haven't checked that to confirm it, but I think that's what it is. It's the famous chicka 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 chicka. It's that 1999 fill that runs like in every second bar. And he does the same thing here, but he starts it on a different beat. So it sounds slightly different. Um, yeah, I think so that's, that's really cool. Lindrum preset. Ah, interesting. Obviously, when he played 1999 Live, you'd have someone just hitting a sampler to start that each time. So I, I like that sound. It's really cool. It's really tight. Gives it kind of a jerking kind of motion. And then one day when they were playing 1999 in a rehearsal, someone hit that sample at the wrong time. And he's yeah, like, ooh, exactly. there's something. <laughs> Susan Rogers. <laughs> You've got the phased Lindrum again, that sort of sex shooter and she's always in my hair kind of sound that phased almost sounds like a train to me. I really love the the chorus and the the descending pre-chorus with these offbeats. This dun, 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 dun. that's really cool. I love the the chorus as well. How it has that big sha la 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 la. I read someone compared that to something sort of love sexy, which I kind of hear. It sort of has that dream factory kind of sound, that la 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 kind of thing. You got this backward sounding synth line, sort of runs through it, kind of like a snake through the song. There's a lot happening in this song. Heaps of polysynths, the big Minneapolis sound, synth, you know, the mm. time kind of sounds. They're really cool. You've got Prince's vocals, and he's basically screaming his head off the whole way through. I actually not a big fan of that. I kind of find it a bit off-putting. Like, it's just, oh, it's just, man. it's a little bit, it's so intense that it's, it reminds me of um, the song My Name is Prince, where he does the same thing in that, where he's just belting it out. And yes, 
And it's like, great. In a song like My Name is Prince, I think it works better. This one, it, I kind of find of just like, it's almost like he wants to sing in a different way to normal. So, oh, okay, on this one, I'm just going to scream my lungs out. And I don't know, it's not, it's not bad, but I kind of find it a bit jarring. Obviously, this song is another kind of religious thing again. He's talking about the upper room, which is a, you know, a reference to heaven. And he's basically asking the question, what is love and sex going to be like in heaven? Because you know, down here, he knows it's dirty and it's fun, but up in, up in heaven, what's it going to be like? And that's kind of what I hear the song being about, which is an interesting question. Um, you've got these chants. You've got Wendy and Lisa, I'm presuming. You know, Prince is asking, do you feel all right? And then they're going, yeah, on beat three which he does a lot. I think Party Man's a song where she does that. Where he has this big yeah and some of the Love Sexy songs as well. So this is a really interesting song because it does have that kind of Purple Rain sound, but it also points forward to that Love Sexy Dream Factory kind of thing. It's very washy. It's a, it's a really interesting song and I totally agree with MC. Like I'd never heard of this one. And um, <laughs> I even to, the, even to the point where when I saw this on the disc, I assumed that, well, I don't recognize the name of that one, but I bet you as soon as I hear it, I'm like, oh, it's that song just with a different title. Because you know how people get the wrong title. I thought, yeah. oh, yeah, it's going to be like something else that I know. But yeah, I was totally surprised when I first heard it. I'm like, oh, I've never heard this song before. I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to say it's the greatest thing ever, but it is a very interesting song, very polished song, and um, I'm really glad it made it onto this release. Good stuff. Okay, so I don't, <laughs> ironically, after saying, you know, oh my God, where did this come from? I don't have too many notes, so I'll, I'll stick my comment into this uh, episode here. <laughs> where, where it fits. <laughs> exactly. But again, I have to repeat, where did this come from? This is one of those situations where it clearly proves to me that, holy shit, this guy has great material, good to great material, that hardcore fans, even hardcore fans haven't heard, and it just blows my mind to think about what else could be in that vault. I mean, even what else I'm is ta- sitting in Warner Brothers' basement in a yeah, bunch I'm of cassette not even, tapes? Yeah, exactly, because I'm not even talking about this song at the moment, and I'll say a little bit about it in a second, but the point I wanted to make was, even if there's one love and sex type song for every year of his career, that would be ridiculous. Like, can you guys imagine if there was a song as solid as this sitting in the vault for every year, even that, which if that's easily, all there was. Which there easily would be. You'd think so, right? Because he's such a great artist and so str- his compositions are so strong, even the stuff that never came out, that that kind of whets my appetite. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> we really have no idea what else is out there. It's like, that's the thing that makes me a bit greedy and like, oh, give me more, you know, like probably like a lot of other Prince fans. But back to the song. Man, this is a fast-paced, funky-ass track with some great musical elements, especially the synth lines and his raw-sounding vocals. I like the raw-sounding vocals. I think they are a precursor to some of the singing styles that he would employ on Around the World in the Day type songs. It's bloody awesome to hear him just push his voice. I am actually a big fan of that. There's some great big screams which keep the lively vibe going. And I think if he would have really tapered back, this song wouldn't have had the impact that it does. This song would have been a great track on potentially on Around the World in a Day or as a B-side to an Around the World in a Day album track. And surely I'm not the only one who thinks this. This would have been killer live. Oh, yeah. Absolutely killer. I don't want to spoil our Syracuse DVD review, but there's some songs on there that this would just slot straight into. And then imagine adding Eric Leeds' horn in a live setting over this track. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
shit. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be crazy. So, and and be, and it would be great because the chord sequence to this track is so interesting that if you add Eric Leeds horn lines on top of the chord sequence, oh wow, oh mama, lots of contrary ascending and descending scales here. Freaking fantastic! It's a fun song to listen to. It's impossible to sit still to this one. I don't care who you are, you ain't sitting still to this. You may not yeah. be able to dance. You may not be able <laughs> to move. Your head's still bobbing to this. That, that's how funky this song is. And it's got that really raw, raw, raw quality. The last thing I will say is this, kick drum. I'll say it again, kick drum. <laughs> and I'm repeating that because the kick drum on this track is ridiculous. It does not stop at any stage of the song. The kick drum keeps bumping throughout the entire track. Probably the reason why they never played this live is that no drummer <laughs> alive would have been able to pull that off. I mean, Bobby Z would have been like within two minutes, he'd be like waving the white towel. You know, it's uh, it's fantastic, the kick drum. And the mix is very dense. Oh, I'm almost teary-eyed thinking about the fact that we finally got to hear something from the vault and it was bloody great. Several tracks on this disc have crazy kick drum stuff. And then you think of like the end of She's Always in My Hair and he was big on kick drum for like a year or two. It was like a big thing. It's like, I'm going to go crazy with this thing. Well, Later on in this disc, which will just kill you. Even on the Purple Rain album, you've got Let's Go Crazy and Darling Nikki that have big double kick drum endings. So yeah, you definitely liked it. And I wasn't going to go into this, but Captain kind of opened it up because I was going to hand it over to you, Captain, now. But I will say one Final comment, even though I said one final comment about five minutes ago. For me, the kick drum in this era of his career clearly sounds like one thing. And I know it's just a musical instrument and it's a musical device from a composition point of view. But for me, it is very, how do I put this? It's a metaphor for something. And on a song like this, Love and Sex, you know what that (laughs) kick drum symbolizes. I'm telling you now. It's banging. It's (laughs) Oh, it's banging all right. (laughs) Prince was an incredibly intelligent composer. We all know that. And it would not surprise me if the method behind his madness of employing kick drums, especially on fairly raucous songs like this, was to really give it that extra oomph, if you know what I mean. And um, I'll just leave it there. (laughs) Captain, what are your thoughts on Love and Sex? The song. (laughs) Like you said before, yeah, I'll talk about the song. <laughs> like you said, a song title we saw and we're like, what is this? Never heard of it. No mention of it anywhere that I'd seen. So I was like, okay, this is going to be something. And it is. Straight away, I, I love the intro. You got the classic 84 guitar sounds that he was using and the Lindrum programming. That's cool, but it's just, I think it's a little bit too busy for me. It's like, there's like a lot of feels just like all the time. I mean, it fits in the song, but it's just a bit too busy for what I would prefer. But still, it is what it is. Now, this is not sound quality related, but mixing is I think his vocals a bit too quiet. Like even though he's screaming his head off, I just don't think that main vocal's loud enough. At some points, like I'm straining to hear him. And even with headphones, that's a frustrating listen. But I do really like this song. At 124 the start of the second verse, and he says, verse two, was it peak control he did that in as well? He announced yeah. verse two. Yeah. 
Yeah, you do. I really like it when people do that in songs. It's just like the most, it's just a dumb thing, but I think it's funny. There's some great synth stabs all over this track too that I heard like big synth swells, which would have been horns, but it was on the synth 128 and 244. That's really good. And I love the chorus. This is just really classic. I don't know how many times we're going to say classic in the show, but this is like classic Prince to me, especially like 1984. Uh, there's a little funky synth solo. It's only small at 412. And as for the lyrics, I know I'm not the only one who's, you know, the misheard lyrics. It sounds like you're saying, la, 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 Shia LaBeouf. That's what I hear. <laughs> I thought of that tonight on the way home from work. You listen to it, and once that's yeah, in your yeah. head, that's all you can hear. The child of Booth probably wasn't even born. <laughs> exactly. Unlikely. But, yeah, this is a good song. It's totally unheard, and it's good. Uh, player, round out our review of Love and Sex, the song. Uh, starts off with one of his trademark screams. He screams a lot on this album, and in this era. <laughs> and there's heaps of screaming on, on all of these songs, but here's another one of them. I like the shalalalas in the track. I agree with that. There's a bit of debate whether Prince recorded this on his own or with the revolution. It sounds like one of those live rehearsals that he did in those warehouses. Has that live sound about it. Has the James Brown vibe. You know, he's calling out the cues. I had Captain's uh, thing of first two at 125. It's just like a workout song. It's a bit like a continuation of Irresistible Bitch almost. He's got that hurt me. He says that in it, so I love that that's right at the end of the song. Like, you know, that's how it's done. Yeah, yeah it's a cool little track to have. It's, it's very uh, surprising that uh, it's one of the gems in the vault. And this is a lot like a band performance as well, right? It sounds mm. like it. It sounds like they're it rehearsing in a warehouse like or something. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another interesting element around the sound. Not the, so much the sound quality, but the type of sound that we're hearing. It's not a Prince studio track. It's the revolution jamming with Prince out front, screaming his head off. Something else that popped into my mind that isn't in my notes, and it's off the back of a comment that Toe Jam made. And it's almost so obvious that it's hardly worth mentioning, but I'll mention it just because. Just because. <laughs> Love and Sex, the song title, is almost an encapsulation of in many ways, of Prince's struggle and his conflict, his internal conflict between those two themes. And that's what he sings about in some ways on this track, even though he's talking about what it's going to be like to make love with his girlfriend or wife or whoever it is in heaven. But it's constantly been a theme from the very beginning in his career right until the very end, mixing the spiritual with the sensual, the religious with the obscene. You've got got love and sex, but then you've got to throw in God as well to be complete. Because yeah, exactly. That's the three things that have always been, that's been his thing. Mm. You've got to have the, so, yeah, the religion part of it in there as well. It's like, how I mean, does that we, fit into all of this? Exactly. And we may do a show on this sort of theme or topic at some point. Who knows? But well, I think it's worth- carries into the next track, Computer Blue. Like, you know, oh, that's right, yeah. love and lust. And it always comes up like... And even in the next album, Temptation, it's an, it's another thing that comes up. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, silly man. Oh, silly man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the, in the Syracuse show that we talk about, there's that whole scene. I mean, it's just so intriguing to know that much of his music of this era, in particular this era, for some reason, was about that inner conflict or that inner questioning around what is right, what is wrong, what is the meaning of all of this. 
and trying to figure out a path for himself. And it's almost like he's recording these, like this isn't, to me, this is not a piece of music, even though we, we only first heard this a few weeks ago. This is not a piece of music made with the expressed notion to get like a pop hit or to create a song that's going to be popular with the masses. To me, this is like he's actually putting his inner thoughts out there and maybe that's another reason why it never came out. But who knows? Who knows? We'll never know. Also, so, with um, that theme thing that you're talking about, it's also in Darling Nikki as well, where you've got this, like, really filthy song, and then at the end of it, the backwards passage is, you know, I know the Lord is coming soon, coming, coming soon, you know? <laughs> like, you know, that's how, like, that song ends. Like, it's, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. I mean, we're getting into the territory or the domain of psychology, which I, unless you guys haven't told me something about yourselves. We're probably not qualified to discuss, but but it is very interesting as observers of his work. That would be a really interesting episode to do, to look back at every song where he dealt with those issues and try and figure out roughly at what point he might have resolved it to some extent. Because, you know, at some point he might have just, did he ever stop talking about those things? That is... That is such an interesting idea. We should definitely do that as a theme, like to figure but, out what was that conflict ever mm. resolved? Was that particular conflict ever resolved? Because we know he had other conflicts as well. But the only problem is that's a hell of a lot of work and oh, research and looking back at, you'd have to go back and listen to like every song and, and listen to the lyrics. I think over anyway, time you day. can sort of see it, see him mm. resolving that. Yeah, I'm not so sure. But anyway, maybe we leave that for another show. Track number three. No, is, no it's not track oh, three. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Love and sex survey results. Player, where did this song stack up based on the fan vote? Let me search my database. This came ninth out of what? 12. Yeah. Wow, that's low. That 44%. 44%. Jeez. There's eight other tracks that people think are stronger than this one. Ooh, I would have had it higher than that. Purely based on the novelty of hearing something like this, I would have voted higher than that. Yeah, anyway. Which makes me wonder whether, because we are, like the four of us are only hearing this for the first time, whether we may have a slightly biased opinion and we may have forgotten how good some of the other tracks are that we have heard a lot more regularly. I don't know. That's just an idea. Possibly. Yeah. That could be true. Our listeners have spoken 44%. Well, don't forget, our 62% of our listeners spoke about something else and I don't know about that (laughs) result. That's also very true. Computer Blue, track number three is Computer Blue, the hallway speech version. Now, Which is a very interesting title, yes, considering yes. Prince had never called it that ever. That's a exactly. fan-given name. Yeah, yes. We don't know whether it's a fan-given name or whether it's no, we a... we do know. We do know. We do know it's a fan-given name? Yeah, because Computer Blue, this version right here, was the version on Purple Rain, and he had to cut it down to make room for Take Me With You. So this technically is just called Computer Blue. And then when this was a bootleg... They had to give it a title to differentiate it. So they called it the hallway speech version because of the dialogue he has towards the end of it. So the <laughs> fans called it the hallway speech version. The interesting thing is Warner Brothers titled Look it hallway name, speech yeah. version. Yeah. So they know how this is referenced amongst underground collectors. Because that's yeah, probably where they sourced the tape from and it said hallway speech version. They're like, yep, we'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be true. You could have just hit the bullseye, Captain. Let's get into the actual music here because 
this track ooh, i don't know where to start with this we are, have reached a very pivotal point this song computer blue itself not this version but just the album version is revered by prince fans it is a seminal point in the movie it is an awesome track on the officially released purple rain album everyone knows that but then you've got this hallway speech version this long extended jam that Prince allegedly spent about 10 days on in August of 1983 constructing, which is fairly long for him. I mean, he was known as, you know, turning over tracks and recording and mixing, mastering songs fairly quickly. He spent a lot of time on this. It was obviously particularly special to him. We're about to get into the music, and I'm going to hand this one over to player. Ooh, this is how it's done. This is the definitive version of this track. Sounds amazing. It's funny how it's labeled hallway speech version. We talked about that. Has the longer intro, has an additional second verse, which is really cool. And the amazing extended music. It's just pure joy to hear. There's parts of this that we've heard before in uh, the Syracuse concert and the actual Purple Rain movie when um, Brown Mark, Dr. Fink and um, Bobby Z are jamming when Prince walks in late to the rehearsal. They're doing the extended part. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's bits of it that we've heard before, or if you've <laughs> had the uh, outtake for the many years, it's it's great to have this version in all its glory quality, except for that dropout in the right channel at 3 minutes 33. Ooh, yes. That's <laughs> disappointing, <laughs> considering like Erotic City, it would have been an easy fix. Like Easy. Man, like those little things that they've missed. So, yeah, it would have been an easy fix, but... Yeah, it's just amazing. Like just the way it twists and turns, it's like going on a journey. It's it's really really good. The actual hallway speech part of it, you know, I, you know, I'm not really into that, but just the music, like the intensity of the music and the feedback on the guitars at the end of it, like it's just like that part of it is just like ear candy. It's just really really good. I love it. Well, I'm with you, player. I love it. The guitar solo at the five minute thirty mark is bloody awesome. Amazing playing by him. And it's not on the album version, that guitar bit. The poor, poor, lonely computer bit by Wendy is really cool. It's kind of sad, though. This whole song, in a way, when you think about what he's singing about, is terribly sad, especially considering what we spoke about in the previous song review, Love and Sex. It sounds like he was really, well, maybe not struggling, who knows, but he was clearly dealing with some conflicting emotions and conflicting thoughts. And this song is almost like a an explosion collage of sound that reflects the emotional complexity that is just beneath the surface with regards to Prince and his mind state. But the crazy thing about this song for me is that the although the album version also has a great groove and it's a good guitar-based, well, it's a great guitar-based track, this one actually gets funky and nasty and dirty the hallway speech is an interesting insight into his mind, how he views the world and, and these recurring themes of lust, fear, insecurity, love, all the rest of it. And for me, it's actually as big of a, to quote a captain phrase, blow your head off song that this is. <laughs> it, it's also unsettling in some parts because of the fact that Prince is dealing with uh, these thoughts and situations and he's trying to, in my opinion, trying to reconcile his conflicts and reconcile his life to some degree, his love life at least. He's trying to establish the right way forward and figure out what he truly values. And that's the way I read it. 
but all around that is this just explosion of energy and sound. And this is Prince at his peak. Physically, he was fit as a fiddle. Songs were coming out of him at 100 miles an hour. He had a freaking fantastic band, you know, about to release his arguably his most popular and successful album from a, at least from a pop culture perspective. And, you know, underneath all that, you've got stuff like women are not butterflies. They are computers too, computer blue. Time <laughs> someone time someone reprogrammed you and it's like holy shit this guy is on some other stuff he is on another level here like the stuff that he's talking about in this song again this ain't no run-of-the-mill pop track when you hear this hallway speech version you're listening to some unabashed unfiltered raw p-funk and i'm talking about prince funk not parliament funkadelic for all you folk out there the last thing I'll say is that the sound is pretty good. The, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this with every song, but I will say I will leave my final sound quality comments to the end except for this track. This one, even though the dynamic range isn't fantastic, for some reason it still sounds great. It's compressed, but it's not overly compressed. You know, it's a little bit squashed here and there. My, my biggest issue, and then I'll hand it over to Captain Jam, is the guitar. Now, maybe I'm alone on this. As much as I love this song on this in general, and especially included on this release, the guitar's not as clear and as gritty as I remember it from the album version. I did it again. It wasn't an A B comparison, but I just listened to it myself. Compared the album version to this, the guitar seems way more raw and just fiery on the short Purple Rain album version versus this. I'm not saying there it's was, bad. I'm just saying it doesn't sound as electric. There was one section, and I just thought the guitar 528 or something, there's that guitar solo, and it just does seem a bit quieter. It could have mm. been mixed louder. But again, if this is just from a cassette tape, there's no, you can't mix yeah, yeah, it. Yeah. That's how it yeah, is. Yeah. It's done. I'm, so I'm, I'm just I'm like, not, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just stating that because I think it's, if it was loud, the guitar was louder in the mix, especially from the part that Captain just mentioned, the five five minute, 20 second onwards part, it is a mind bending experience. There's no two ways about that. No words yeah. can describe it. I don't even know why I'm talking about this. You got to hear it, play it loud, end a story. And without we'll that guitar solo, just wait for the 35th anniversary. <laughs> Captain, what are your thoughts on this version of Computer Blue? Uh, oh, people are saying. I've been hearing there are many different versions of this <laughs> circulating amongst people for many years now. So it's great to finally have this track in almost all its glory, in good enough for me, pristine quality. Mm -hmm. But I think the longest timing I've seen of this track is like 14, 14 something. Yeah. But I think that's mostly just like him the screaming reverb. the guitar yeah. reverb. So I yeah. can do without that anyway. Yeah. I'm not too sure whether Prince himself edited this down or it might have been Susan Rogers or somebody, but if it was him, it just shows what an you know, master of the edit he was. Like even if he yeah, didn't yeah. edit this himself, it's still true for other tracks anyway. But it just makes when you then you listen to the album version and you're just like, it's perfect as it is. Seamless, you would yeah. and, and you never would have even known that it came no. from a longer track. Yeah. But then you listen to this and there's just like when you listen to this full version now, you're like, okay, and you're trying to think, well, that's the album version. That, And then there's just like a little bit which is cut and then it goes back to the, and you're like, it's insane how good it was edited down. Especially and in those um, days when they had to splice the tape. Splice the tape. Yeah. Insane. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So from 
it just makes you appreciate the album version and the perfect edit that that is. Yeah. Anyway, but from MC already said from 528 to 556, there's a really cool guitar solo which is not on the album version, but it is not the guitar solo is not as loud as it could be. It could just be if they could bring it up in the mix just a little bit more, it'd be better. I love the synth bits at 6:30 and the the na 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 everybody work out. That's a great bit. Like player said, the actual hallway speech part from about seven minutes onwards, it's a bit boring to me. Like I really have to concentrate hard to try and hear what he's saying because yeah, it's sort no, of like exactly. muffled, buried. Yeah, we know you don't like lyrics, Captain. We know that. Well, I actually tried it's to listen to him, and it was hard. Yeah, it's yeah, a it He's just talking, talking, but it's like yeah. such a deep voice, and it's like buried in the mix. And I'm like, man, I can barely hear what he's saying. I only know half the hallways. (laughs) But I like the part from 8.20 until 8.57. There's another great guitar solo there, but it's sort of buried in the mix. I love the insane screaming he does at 10.14 for about 10 seconds. It's just great. Yeah, I really think Computer Blue should have been a single, and this would have been the 12-inch version of it. It would have been just... It would have blown people's minds back then. Or even if it was a B-side to something. Imagine if this was the B-side to Purple Rain instead of... You know, God. Yeah, C- Captain, you're completely. You made. You make such a great point because so many other songs, like "I Would Die for You," had an extended version that actually came out. You know, as a B-side. Well, there were other songs, "Another Lonely Christmas." Uh, what else was there? I mean, the longer versions of so- the uh, "Let's Go Crazy" special dance mix. Other songs came out in longer versions, but this one was never released. Like the question I have is why. The thing with this track is this is not. This is my line, but this is not just a song. This is like, it's like a, a suite or something. It's like this mm, yeah. 10, 12 minute thing. It's, it would have blown people's minds. Like serious music critics would have been like, man, what is this guy doing? This is crazy. Like to, to leave this in the vault is a bit, yeah. is a bit crazy. No. Like you'd have to be crazy to do that, right? The world wasn't ready. But anyway, great track. Great to finally have the full version released officially after all these years. There you go. Well, with that, it's time for Toe Jam to talk about his thoughts of Computer Blue, the extended version. Well, when we did the Purple Rain album review, I was kind of a bit lukewarm on Computer Blue. It's not that I don't like it. I've always loved it, obviously. It's on Purple Rain, you know, one of Prince's best albums. But Is the water lukewarm enough, Toe Jam? There was always something with it that kind of irked me, and I never knew what it was, but I think I think what it is is... I think this is the definitive version of the track and I actually find it a real crying shame that it, it didn't get on the album because I find the album version, as much as Captain saying the edits are really good, it loses something. There's something in that album version of Computer Blue. It, it's not the same as this. Like I think someone used the word kaleidoscopic before and, and that's what this is. It's, it's a kaleidoscope of sounds. It's very psychedelic. It's very visual. Hearing this full version, I've completely changed my mind of, of what I think the song is about. And I actually think the song is about hell. You know, there's one part in the song where he cries out, you know, Father, Father, where is the sun? The sun is gone. You know, obviously mm. you can take that as a reference to the apocalypse. You know, the sun's been darkened or it's probably both a reference to, you know, Jesus has been taken. And so this is like the aftermath of the apocalypse and people left are on their own. And and he says, um, you know, what is life without love? It's it's hell, Computer Blue. And this song is about hell. Um, the, the guitar feedback is fire. 
this the shouts the screams the sirens Man, there's so many sirens in my mind i know i had this I, I heard it i just like this is what this song is about and this is what irked me about the album version is you don't it's like this i don't want to say watered down that's not right but it's like it's missing what the song is about there's so many sirens in this song the guitar solo is referencing sirens the keyboards mm-hmm. are referencing sirens there's like three or four times where that is happening in the song it's painful to listen to like his vocals are this isn't just Prince, like, you know, screaming for the sake of his scream. Like, these are painful, meaningful screams. Maybe that's why it didn't come out, because it, it was too honest. Potentially. that I was thinking that maybe this is too close to home for him. Um, yeah, and he edited out those parts and just left what yeah. we get on the album, which excludes yeah. all that that other stuff, which he might have thought, you know, people aren't ready to hear that just yet, or I'm not yeah. ready to release it yet. Yeah. So, like, this is, is really, uh, I like the, someone said sweet. I think Captain said it's a sweet. That, that's what it is. Prince is a master at these big, long, extended jams. I mean, the 1999 album proves that. And, and I think I said in the Purple Rain review that this song is kind of an extension from the song Automatic. It's also got that theme of computers feeling emotions and this kind of thing, which is referenced to Automatic as well, where it's kind of like these people are programmed to love and they're programmed to lust and this sort of thing. A few other bits I'll mention over... Uh, the, the hallway speech, I kind of agree. I, I can never really understand exactly what he's saying, but I'm pretty sure there's a famous ancient poem or or play or something that, uh, not that he's directly lifted that from, but that idea comes from. And again, I think it might be some like religious text that has something about, you know, and again, referencing hell and this sort of thing. I couldn't, I thought about it today and I, I tried to do a bit of research, but I couldn't find it. But I know that that kind of idea about a speech about you know, walking down hallways and they're kind of each door is representing a human emotion kind of thing. Like it is from like some ancient um, religious thing. It just reminded me of um, doorway number pants. It's a bit different to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Classic line. (laughs) Obviously, you've got the the father song bit in the middle there and we now hear it in its full glory. You know, it starts off with less bells and whistles. And then the part that's on the album is, you know, where he's playing around with it a bit more, extending it, adding some bends and this kind of thing, bluesing it up. So it's kind of interesting to hear the whole thing. One part that I kind of lose it a bit is when, um, like, lose the feeling a bit is when the computer version of Wendy is saying, you know, the feeling's mutual. And then Prince is like, the feeling's mutual. That bit kind of, <laughs> it's I don't know, it's, it's a bit, it's a bit, odd, bit cheesy. It? Yeah, but that's just, that's a very minor gripe. Yeah, the whole Wendy thing with the whole, you know, poor, poor computer, it's it's very demented, isn't it? It's But it's really cool, like, as a, a very visual and, and um, just demented kind of, thing to put in a song and then you know he's she's like giving it to That's him you know Prince. you're a chauvinistic computer you know it's like what the hell is going on here like i really put this along with like crystal ball and tracks like automatic like these big long jam of things that are really kind of meaningful and um they're just art uh, that's the first thing i wrote here for my review this is just pure musical art tojan before when you said i didn't mean that the edit was better than this i just meant as an edit Oh, yeah. I don't think it could have been any better. Yeah. yeah. No one yeah. could have edited that down to like four and a half minutes any better than it is. But this is the full version, obviously, way better. But as an edit, that album version, I, I don't think it could have been any better. Uh, I think my favorite part in the song, actually, is when um, it's getting towards the end of the song. And, and um, I think it might be Wilder or the verge of the breakdown part. And uh, there's like a big explosion sound. And you hear these big, long synth notes just going, bum, bum. It's like it's literally like you're being taken off the planet. Like uh, that, that's such an amazing part. The only other thing I will say is the funky bit from the Purple Rain movie that we see the the rhythm section rehearsing. That's such a funky bit. Yeah, Doctor. Get that like fast little synth bit. That bit. Oh man, 
that's like straight Minneapolis, that bit. Yeah. Cool stuff. That's my review. Well, I was going to go into the next track, but Tojo, I've got to pull you up on here because I uh, really strongly disagree with the hell thing. Like, Ooh, and, when I say disagree, and when I say disagree, only because I don't see, I mean, I can see the how you're taking those references and applying them in some way, but it's yeah, so very, that, yeah. it's very, for me, it's very distant. He's reaching. He's reaching. I think he's reaching. <laughs> I he's got to bring religion into it. It wouldn't be a show without Toe Jam bringing religion into into something. No, but I think no, no. I think there are religious references. It's the hell thing that I have very little connection to. To me, Computer Blue. I don't know what the heck it actually means because it's so intricate. And also, I think it's as intricate as it is. I think it's it's also confused. And I think he was potentially confused. And it's it's his best attempt at putting his thoughts into lyrics and music and it's a beautiful track and it's a creepy track but the thing i will say is that computer blue i think has very little to do with hell but very much to do with people and in particular him i mean prince is the protagonist but i think it's kind of haunting in the sense that he is referring to whether it's his brain whether it's his body whether it's the combination of both just his entire person as a computer meaning he's transactional he is it's almost like he's not behaving in a true proper human form and where i'm going with this is i feel like it's potentially a song about someone who is just moving from one relationship to the next with very little depth you know it's almost like if someone gets too close or if someone doesn't meet a certain expectation or doesn't match whatever the computer's algorithm is it can't connect you know and by the end of the journey the computer's blue i.e the computer's sad or maybe a slightly more terrifying situation you guys all know the blue screen of death, right? Yeah. It's fairly fairly well known in IT. Yes. In the yeah. If made what happens when the computer gets the blue screen? It dies. And I think it's more about potentially the shell of a person who can't connect. Like a human can always connect, right? But a computer, if you're a machine, you can't necessarily connect on a really intimate deep level with potentially another partner but you know, i'm getting way into my own opinion about psychologically and philosophically it was me about. just thinking this was just a just a no, guitar I, song. I agree with i agree with everything you say <laughs> <laughs> i agree with everything you're saying but i think you know the reason he's become a computer i think in the story is because you know the father has taken the son and so the people left are basically computers the father no has taken the son the he says you know father father the son is gone and you can read, is he saying son, S-O-N or S-U-N? You know, and he also says something about the dawn around yeah. there as well, doesn't he? So the way I read it is that the people left are effectively computers and they're lost in this hell-like state where there's no love. There's no true love kind of thing. Or the sun is gone, meaning there's no light, there's only darkness and it's there's nothing but And blue. it's cold and dark. Blue skies. <laughs> Who really knows? I've got no idea. And I'm could... sure people will tell us on Facebook and Twitter how wrong we are. So I mean, bring it no, I, don't, I think the mistake is to say it's definitely this or that. I mean, I think, you know, oh, with sure. all of this stuff, it's it's yeah, all there. It's, just and it's, your... all, it's all themes and, yeah. Everything we're saying is just our opinion. It's not a fact. It's not a law. Just calm down. This is just what we think. Yeah, I guess I just always saw 
Prince, the protagonist in the story of this song, in the story of his life, potentially, as his mind, in a way, his soul, his mind, maybe a combination of both, is the computer. Like, anytime a hot chick comes around, it's Ooh. it's on. But then, you know, a few days, weeks, or months into it, it's like, it can't quite, it's like that famous Prince line, do you relate? <laughs> it's like one of those, it's like, well, no, I don't relate, because... Because his hard disk got floppy. Hard <laughs> Exactly. I think anyone can, like that. Any, anyone can relate to that, really, at yeah. some point in your life. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Wouldn't it be... Wouldn't <laughs> it For whatever be, reason. <laughs> I'm letting that one through to the keep. I'm trying not to, not to give that too much airplay. <laughs> but wouldn't it be interesting and potentially even more mind-blowing if Toe Jam's hell reading plus the, I guess, inability to connect broken relationship psychodrama reading... And any other readings that people have got out there of this particular song are actually all true. Wouldn't it be crazy if all of them are true? Wouldn't it be absolutely mind-boggling if this song is so deep and so complex that potentially, especially listening to this extended version, this could be the most heart-wrenching, wearing my my emotions and my inner demons on my sleeve piece of music that he's ever recorded. I think it's a combination of both your things. It's his own personal hell. And you can hear he's tortured in it. You know, by the end of it, he's tortured in it. And that's the thing that Prince puts in his music. Like, it's the way you interpret his songs, you know. So, there's no right or wrong answer. Player says in one sentence what I couldn't say in about 10 minutes. <laughs> but look, the, the classic answer to that question is like, what does this song mean? Is whatever you want it to mean. Exactly. Yeah. It's whatever you think it is. That's what it is to you. Who's to say what it's about? And whatever it's actually about, this is uh, just a masterpiece. I'm putting it out there. It's a masterpiece of music, Prince or otherwise. I mean, this is just insane. Absolutely insane. And it's a blessing to have this actually officially released. And before we go into the next song, I'm going to do something that I haven't done in a very long time. Unprompted, I'm going to go to Player to ask him to tell us where this song <laughs> ended up in the survey. You feeling? Oh, right? oh my god! Must have like set wanna... a reminder on his phone. No, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way. Do you guys want to have a stab in the dark where this came in the survey? Got to be number one, right? Correct. Oh wow! I was I was going to say two as well, but I yeah. was going to say two. No, it came first at 86% Computer Blue. Wow. Always wow. speech version. Wow. People are loving this song. I've already resequenced the, the official Purple Rain album and put this full version instead of the edited down one. Ooh. All right, all right. It was the first pre-release single, technically, I guess, of this Disc 2 Purple Rain Deluxe Edition. Track number four, the name is Electric Intercourse. It's the studio version of this track. It's a Prince solo performance, and it's Captain's Time to open up this review. Another interesting choice of official title yes. for this track, because why would it be anything but a studio version? <laughs> but because there is a version out there, which is a live version, which a lot of people have heard, so I'm hearing... So Warner Brothers thought, well, we've got to clarify. This is actually the studio version and not that version. But also, too, there was all the talk 
Well, the fans only had that live version circulating. No one knew that there was a studio version that existed. So, ah, yeah. So in the pre-release, when the track listing came out, it's like, oh, okay, there is an actual studio version of that track. Mm. So it was kind of another aha moment that you another, know there is, yeah, in the vault. Another thing we haven't heard. Like this was another. Is it fair to say that all of us? We're kind of at least partially had our mind blown by the fact that a studio version existed. Is this like another love and sex moment? I never really even thought about it. Like, I, yeah, it never really crossed my mind. I never thought that much about this song anyway. Oh, okay. Here well, we go. What, yeah. All right. Well, you know what blows my mind is the fact that in the live version, which is the August 83 concert, the other songs that got lifted from that concert and actually made the album like the actual recording from that concert with purple rain baby i'm a star i would die for you and those that we know of at the moment don't have studio versions but in light of this it is possible that those at least those three tracks there could be still studio versions that we have still haven't heard Mm. because he used the actual live recording from from that show on the album i think there is a studio version I can't remember which one, but it's either Baby I'm a Star or I Would yeah, Die for You. But there is a studio version. from 82, yeah. 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 Anyway, this was, apart from Purple Rain, this was like supposed to be the big ballad sort of song on the album, but then The Beautiful Ones came in and obviously a way better track than this one as the big ballad. But I really like this song. Uh, I don't know if it's Lisa or Prince on piano. It could be Prince, I'm not sure, but some nice piano and keyboard stuff on here. And in the song. I love that big chord after the first and second line, like every verse. It's just good. And 103, there's a nice chord. I don't know what it is. It's good. There's a double snare hit at 130. And every time I hear it, it sounds like a mistake that just got left in. And he's like, nah, that's fine. It happens a few other times later in the track, but it sounds okay. But that first one, every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, what? what's that? It just doesn't sound right. Toje might be able to confirm this. I didn't take that much notice, but it sounds like the music in the verse and the chorus is the same. I don't know. That's um, not that normal. Yeah. No, I guess it is. It doesn't really change that much. It's like the same chords and it's yeah, got well, the... like In terms of the chords, it's chord one, chord four, then it goes to a diminished chord. That's the big splat one that I think yeah. you like. And then, you know, other times it goes chord four, chord five, chord minor six, which is kind of a common kind of thing. Because mm. yeah, I was like, listening to the chorus those... and I'm like, it's pretty much the same. Yeah. The chorus is the same chord progression as the verse, but there's a there's a pre-chorus bit, the, the, the bit that sort of builds. Yeah, you know? yeah. I really like the falsetto vocal he does, about 235 to 255, and there's a great scream he does right near the end of that. And I like there's this little turnaround at 343 where he's doing, he's doing beatboxing basically for like two seconds. Now, that's cool if you hear that because, you know, who else was doing that then? I don't know. I don't know any hip-hop. Ducky Fresh. In, in actually, 1984? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Dougie Fresh, yeah. Okay. Exactly at this time, right, player, wasn't it? Yeah, ex- yeah exactly, yeah. Oh, there you go. And then just after that, you hear him, like, clapping and snapping his fingers. That's cool. Yeah, and there's just nice piano and keyboard all through this. Yeah, I like it. It's good. All right, all right, all right. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on Electric Intercourse, the song? <laughs> um, I like it. It's a nice ballad song. It's kind of got that doomy baby kind of feel to it, the sort of slow... You know, going back and forth between chords one and chord four, which he does a lot. It is like a pale imitation of the beautiful ones. Obviously, it's the other way around. The beautiful ones is probably recorded after it. To me, it's 
very obvious why it wasn't included in the album because the beautiful ones is is so much more superior it builds better it's got more interesting themes more interesting lyrics but that's not to say this is a bad song you've got that the two note which sort of runs all the way through it and again it's prince's favorite notes from this era the four and the three Uh, a lot of the songs on purple rain you know go on back and forth between that sus four to the major third kind of thing there's a little piano solo in it i talked a bit about the chord progressions how there's basically like two little progressions that go on some interesting lyrics about technicolor climax at his fingertips quite explicit and his falsetto is nice but it just doesn't quite make the same grade as some of these other ballads and so i can kind of see why it wasn't why it didn't make a release i mean not that it what is a bad song or that isn't worthy of a release but you know, I just think songs like Jimmy Baby and The Beautiful Ones are just far superior. So that's all I can really say. It's a, it's a good little song. Nice to have a, a studio version. And I remember listening to it when it was pre-released a couple of months ago on iTunes, thinking, oh, yeah, I've heard this before. I've heard this before. And then it wasn't until later and like, oh, well, I heard all these people saying, oh, well, we've finally got a studio version. I'm like, oh, it's obviously not that memorable that, you know, I really bothered me not having a studio version. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's a nice little song. It's a nice little song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we should overdo this song. I mean, yeah. compare this to Do Me Baby, The Beautiful One, Scandalous. Like, uh-huh. you know, Prince can do these songs in his sleep. And I think the only interesting thing about this song is it's got that splat diminished chord, which kind of Bang. shocks you every now and then. Yeah, that, that's kind of interesting. And some, you know, the lyrics are good, and but it's nothing we haven't heard before. Don't worry. We, we, didn't, we didn't have to overdo it because MC's going to do it for all of us. <laughs> Here we go. Player, what are your thoughts on uh, Electric Intercourse? <laughs> I have a confession to make. I was never a fan of the August 83 live version of this song. Not that it wasn't any good or anything. I just That's the show on the gun. (laughs) Not that it was any good. I just didn't get the fan hype. It's like, yeah, it's okay, but I never got the, oh my God, electric intercourse status it always got. And it always got that. I never got it. Yeah, I think maybe that's partially due to that diminished chord that annoyed me. I I don't like that part of it. Um... Yeah, it's just like a bum note, almost. Yeah. Anyway, using the beautiful ones makes much more sense than using this. I have to admit, though, that since getting this album, I thought I would have this on skip constantly, but I haven't. Every time it's on, I always listen to it all the way through. It's nice. But again, I still wouldn't elevate this to elite ballads, Davis, like the way um, Jam mentioned with things like Do Me Baby and, and stuff like that. The piano is really nice. That's a highlight. And the screams are right up there. It's good. It's not bad. But I just never got the hype of this song from like the fan community for years and years and years. Never got it. It's nicely placed on this Disc 2 album. Like I think it- It is. Yeah. It goes well after such an epic song like Computer Blue to to sort of just calm down a bit and have a, a nice smooth song. Yeah. But see, in if you put it on the Purple Rain album in place of Beautiful Ones, it would come before Computer Blue. And like when you get to the end of this song and you listen to it, you can hear it like it would segue perfectly into Computer Blue. But in, the, yeah. in, in, this, in this album, yeah, it's placed really well. I think if this was on 1999, I would have said this is the best ballad on that album. Yeah. I agree. But I never, I never thought International Lover was that great or even like free. If this was on 99, I'd say this would have been the best ballad on that album. But on Purple Rain, the, the quality is just so up there. And the beautiful ones is just unbelievable. So you, ca- you can't even compare it, really. Anyway, <sighs> tell us how great it is, MC. Go. Deep breath. Rob <laughs> prepares himself. Uh, hang on. If you're going to take this over the top, you better bring it on and say why. 
because he said so. It's his opinion. That's why. I don't care. You got to <laughs> convince us. You got to convince it. us. Bring because okay, everyone says it's oh my god. You you tell us why it's oh my god because I can never get it. Okay, so you can't get why this is a masterful track. Why this is no? It's a it's a good track. It's nice. I don't get it. And if you think this is better than Beautiful Ones, please tell me why. Okay. First of all, first of all, I'm not even going there because I, you have I, to. You have no way. This up. You have to. No, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. And if, if anyone ever said this was better than Beautiful Ones, they're off the show. It's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> Pack your bags, MC. Yeah. Don't, don't you remember our fifth member? Um, what was his name? Um, George, yeah, kicked George off the show many years ago for suggesting such a thing. The really old fans might remember him. Who knows? He didn't last hey, long. He was called Slow Mo or something. Listen, the uh, the well, this time it's Rob S in the house, and I'm about, I'm about to lay it on thick. First of all, I don't really understand, and I mean this with all sincerity, why the majority of Prince fans have compared Electric Intercourse, the song, to Beautiful Ones, the song. Because it got replaced with it. Well, no, I, I understand that, but in reality, the, these songs are, un, aside from that one fact that you just mentioned, Player. Yeah, I mean, and the fact comparing that the, and the song, fact that one song to another song is just, it's a pointless thing, really. Yeah, but I don't know, though, like, these are similar, similar tempo, similar chords. I don't know, they are comparable. I mean, they're comparable in the, in the same way that they're comparable to Doomy Baby and Scandalous, right? Yeah. Yeah, so in other words, it's a ballad. It's a sexual or sensual ballad. If I listed all of Prince's sexual and sensual ballads, we'd probably have a list of about 50, possibly 100 songs, and I don't see this being any more similar to the beautiful ones compared to anything else, really, other than, it was, as Player said, it was replaced by the beautiful ones. Here's my word-for-word review of why this is a masterful song. It's an amazing track. It's one of his greatest ever ballads. And Oh, and my God. <laughs> There's your, your oh, my God, player. <laughs> and why I feel it was a crime and an absolute shame that this was never officially released in any capacity until his unfortunate passing. There's a reason it's vaulted. <laughs> How any artist can keep this song unreleased for their entire career is impossible for me to understand. I can't fathom it. Right, I can't. I've got absolutely nothing more to say about that. Here's the reason why, player, and for anyone else who's still listening. I feel some kind of love for you. I don't know your name. This is the kind of love that takes two. I want you and I'm not ashamed. Because, baby, you shook my wire with a sexual electricity extraordinary. Come and take advantage and undress me. I don't even know you. I don't even care. I feel some kind of sexual current. Tell me, do you feel it too? Our buddies want to be together. Girl, I want to be with you. Electric is my body, baby. I'll shock you with my lips. Darling, don't you know your Technicolor Climax is at my fingertips? Are you kidding me? Electric in a course... Don't you want to electric intercourse? Don't you want to make love, sweet love, my love? I'll shock you with my lips. Yes, I will. <laughs> Darling, <laughs> don't you know your Technicolor Climax is at my fingertips? And it just goes on and on and on until the break of dawn. That just sounds like the pillow talk he used to write on For You and Prince album. It may very well be, but this is 
a song that is so well composed purely from a lyrical point of view then when you add his falsetto on top of it then when you add the chords as toe jam rightly said that are in some ways and the tempo similar to the beautiful ones it's a masterful ballad you've got these I'm, creative lyrics great songwriting i'm hearing you, you're you, you're a lot more impressed by the lyrics than just the if you had just the lyrics or just the music just the music i think is not great the lyrics are okay i'll give but, you that but what happens is when you blend the two together you get something otherworldly this is an amazing song it is absolutely magical. It's masterful. The synths are spicy, not lame. His falsetto is gorgeous. The harmonies are smooth as silk. The piano playing is sparse, but it's beautiful. It's just got, it's dripping with emotion. It's dripping with sweat. The hand claps. No one mentioned the hand claps. Come on, guys. You mustn't have been listening to anything I said then because I did. <laughs> I wasn't. I apologize. <laughs> the hand claps add to the tight Lynn Trump programming. Yeah, you actually, you did say that. Uh, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> I don't understand. No one's, no one's disrespecting the song. Don't, don't get us wrong. No one's saying this is a bad song. It's a good song. I don't it just, know. It just doesn't take me anywhere. I just like, don't think much. it's one of the best ballads he's ever written. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't have to be. This is. But I you think said it, it is. is. I think it is. Okay. But even if it wasn't, it doesn't have to be. Like this is just a fantastic song. I actually do agree that it, I don't know who said this, might have been Captain, this would fit much better on 1999 than Purple Rain. And I might actually re-sequence it after the show's over, but that's another show. No one's listening to hear that. But I'm spent. As, as I've said in the past, I need a cigarette and a cold shower. Man, come on, give me a break. This is fantastic. And the live version player, oh, I don't know what to say. The live version of this is even more electric than this version of Electric Intercourse. It's a great piece of music. Well, if you're talking about the line with the wire and all that, I'm I'm riveting to hear your review of Electric Man from the Nude Tour. Is that the greatest blues song he's ever written? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a thing for electricity. You've got a yeah, yeah, but it's like you've, fans will and listeners of the show will have to wait until we talk about the uh, 1990 the Tokyo performance. I can't even speak; my mouth is that dry. I'm out of energy. I'm out of... You're out of spark on your electric intercourse. <laughs> Have you been uh, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> but my last comment is this. The fact that this has come out is already great. Yeah, then the fact that it's a beautiful, pristine, polished solo studio performance that I never even knew existed is freaking awesome. And then to add to that, the fact that I can listen to this at any point in time now and I can stream it, I can... It just... Put all that together, I'm freaking stoked that this has come out. I completely understand why Warners or MPG or whoever made the decision decided to release this as the pre-album release single, the first thing that they put out into the world. This is great. This is what makes Prince Prince. He's sexual, he's sensual, he's conflicted. The synths are there. It's pure Purple Rain era sound. I'm going to stop myself before I go over the top because I feel like I'm almost about to do it and I'll regret it later. So I'm not going to. I've said enough. <laughs> it's like waking up with a hangover. I'm going to rate this four out of ten. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. How dare you? That's blasphemous. You're saying this is better than Lemon Crush? Get out of here. <laughs> Do you want to hear the fan result? Please tell yeah. us the fan result. How did this score in the fan vote? Okay. So in the fan vote... Did they love it as much as he did? Uh, That's the big question. No. This came six overall. Out of 11 what? tracks. It's not first. Oh, my God. 
So it's about halfway. It came at 53%. Now, if it was me, I would say that low mark was because of the song itself. But I think the majority of people like MC who gush over this track, I think a lot of people have expressed online that they were disappointed in the studio version as compared to the live version. So I think they've rated this a lot lower with that comparison. But I think just overall, it's just a meh track. So it's good, but it's rated at 53%. We now go into the next song on this disc. It is track number five, and it's actually a... I'm looking for the word. It's a twofer. It's a a twofer. It's a a fusion of songs. There you go. It's a mishmash. A combination of our destiny... And Roadhouse Garden. Two separate songs put together as one track. For some reason. Uh, originally recorded separately, I have to add, but put together on this release in an interesting way. So let's get straight into this. Player, what are your thoughts on Our Destiny Roadhouse Garden? Yes, so here we have two separate tracks tacked together to make one song based on the June 7th birthday live version. For Our Destiny, Jill Jones mentioned it was designed for some sort of musical Prince was potentially working on. And I think when you listen to this, you can kind of hear that in the delivery. It does have that kind of vibe about it. It's okay, but it's obviously never designed for the actual Purple Rain project. It's sort of like... There was Purple Rain and then there was this other musical idea and, you know, it's of that era, but it's it's not. It could have been like a really early thought for Under the Cherry Moon. Really yeah. early. Yeah, very early. Mm. Um, same with Roadhouse Garden. This is better than our destiny, but it sounds more like something more destined for around the world in a day. It's got that vibe for me. Putting them together based on the live rendition would be, in my eyes, no different than releasing the studio versions of Take Me With You and Raspberry Beret and cut it together. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what the thought process was because you can noticeably hear the two tracks tacked together because just of the audio quality, you know, there is a sort of loudness that comes through on the Roadhouse Garden version. I do, out of the two parts of the song, I do like the Roadhouse Garden version better i don't know if that's because it's got prince's vocals or it's a stronger track or whatever but you know around 1998 or 1999 when he was running the i think it was mpg online limited i think that was the website he was doing at that time and he actually said that was going to be the next revolution album and he was inviting wendy and lisa but he kind of made out that they weren't participating but he was kind of teasing it like you know, so it would have been good around that 1999 era if we got another Revolution album that was, you know, this was the title track from it. it would have been pretty cool. I remember they released the song Splash from that era. Splash, and that yeah. was part of the whole promotion of like, oh, Roadhouse Garden's going to be released or something. So. Yeah. And, you know, there's another Revolution track. So there would have been, and even quite possibly still, like a, a Revolution album come out with, you know, these sort of tracks. And I would have really loved to have seen that. So. I think Roadhouse Garden is really great. It's got a kind of summery vibe about it, and yeah, it's just it's just good. Our Destiny is is good. It's it's kind of operatic and musically, and you know the lack of Prince's vocal is a bit yeah. But um, Jill Jones threw up her own version on SoundCloud. Her, her vocal sounds a lot stronger than Lisa's. Um, oh yeah, I heard that. 
Yeah, I like yeah. that better. Yeah, I think uh, I think Jill put it up because I think she was a bit annoyed that she didn't get any sort of credit on this album in the liner notes. So yeah, it's it's good to have both versions. But you know, like I said, when it was performed live, they stuck it together just like "Take Me with You" Raspberry Beret. So you know, I don't know if someone thought you know that's how it's supposed to be, or if the end of the Our Destiny tape was crappy and they had to mask it by putting this over the top and saying, mm. you know, I don't know yeah, what the thought process is, but, you know, I, I probably would have liked them as separate tracks in that, in that regard. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a tack on because like, you know, if the two songs sort of related to each other, but like, I don't see the connection between the two. They're almost the same tempo. I mean, yeah, I, I'm talking about thematically, like, you know, they, they, they don't yeah. sort of relate to each other. But out of the two, I kind of favor the Roadhouse Garden. But, you know, I don't dislike our destiny either. So it's a bit of a weird one, but that's my that's my thoughts on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much with you, player. I think this is, like, a great to have. They're both cool songs. They seem to work together okay, and Captain mentioned the tempo is similar, which is maybe why they put them together. And, player, you mentioned that maybe the tape of our destiny was a bit shot. Who knows? But the editing, like I said, it's relatively seamless. The end of our destiny goes into Roadhouse Garden quite well. But I'm with you. Like they, they're just—they're not two branches from the same tree. They're quite different. And even though they were recorded around the same time, I see our destiny more in the vein of something by the family and Roadhouse Garden, much more in line with the around the world and the day stuff that he was doing with the revolution. That's just the way I hear them. And. The one thing I will say is that the sound quality of this is not as clear as on the rest of the set, which regardless of dynamic range and compression and all that aside, just the overall listenability of these two tracks is a little bit less than expected. I guess they are very old songs, you know, from the vault, so you can't expect pristine versions. But the only other thing I will say is I absolutely love the first, I don't know, 15 20 seconds like that our destiny bit where it's the um the the ladder the strings ladder, that end yeah. up on the ladder but with the kick underneath it that little bit the strings with the kick right underneath sounds That's so freaking awesome it's great yeah, yeah it is it's just it's purely great so simple strings and a kick but when you put those two together it really does something that both elements on their own just wouldn't do <laughs> Very, very nice. Are you saying you put things together like some sort of mu- <laughs> some sort of musician, some sort of creative artist? Yeah, what is this? Who, who does yeah. that? Who does that? Who puts who puts <laughs> things together? Like I said, our destiny I think belongs on the family album, which is a great album, which we should review one day. And with that, take it away, Captain. Okay, our destiny slash Roadhouse Garden. The Our Destiny part, like MC said, I love the intro with the strings from the ladder. Yeah. With that kick drum, it just it makes it so much better. And I like the part that starts at 41 seconds and also a minute 20. I like that bit. And I like there's a really fast synth bit that just sits there in the background all through Our Destiny. Mm. And it that's good. I like that. But yeah, just the Our Destiny track, I don't really like or dislike it. It's just... It's just a song. I haven't said that for a while. <laughs> Possibly partly because there's no Prince vocal. It could just be like any associated artist track. But this is a very revolution-sounding song as well, even though Prince isn't on the vocal. It's just got the sounds that they used. And then we get to Roadhouse Garden. I like most songs where he uses his normal voice, and this is another one. His voice just sounds great on this track, and backing vocals are great too. 
and I can listen through this song ten times in a row, easy. And there's lots of little weird sounds in the last section. After it stops and comes back in, it sounds like there's like a train sound, and there's uh, just yeah, little clicks and snaps and finger, what are the things, finger symbol. There's just all these weird little things near the end. And um, it's, But is that sound, like to me it sounds like clipping in the track. No, I can tell you what it is. Oh, it's sound what effects. It? It's a garden hose. <laughs> that, that, no, it is. I thought it was clicks too, and I listened to it. I'm like, no, it's a garden hose going chick, 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 chick. Like, you know, those hoses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Sprinkler. I'm serious. It's a sprinkler. Yeah. sprinkler. yeah. It's a time sprinkler on the garden. Yeah. Garden. Here we go. You know, mm. the weirdest thing, though, with this track is I hey, really. Wait, hold up. Hold up, Captain. You let that slip? You usually pick up on when Prince had sound effects. I just yeah, said there's loads of little weird sound effects. No, but you know how, like, when he talks about time and then there's a clock sound and... Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, see, it's a garden and it's a sprinkler. How did I, I, like... do it? <laughs> how did I miss the sprinkler in the garden? I don't know. <laughs> but the weirdest thing with this track is the title, Roadhouse Garden. Like, the image that that gives in my brain has nothing to do with this song. I mean, yeah, think about I just, just think about a roadhouse. You know, that's like a that's like a truck stop on like Route sixty six. Yeah. It's just what's it got to do with this? Okay, it's a roadhouse, but hey, it's got a nice little garden out the back. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand the concept of like the title of the song. And he's like, "Oh, this is a place where emotions grow." I'm like, "What's that got to do with a truck stop?" Seriously, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> really, I don't get that part of the song. I really like the song. I don't connect the title with like the image it gives me when I think of it. It's just weird. I don't know. I reckon it'd be a better album title. Like I don't know about you guys, but for for years I was just imagining this incredibly psychedelic album called Roadhouse Garden. You know, like almost yeah. like an Around yeah. the World in a Day Part Two. But yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. Maybe that was the concept before Around the World in the Day. Oh, you know, cool. maybe Paisley Park. You think about Paisley the Park? Yeah. Paisley Park. Exactly. Roadhouse Garden. Yeah. <gasps> Imagine if Paisley Park ended up being called Roadhouse Garden. Imagine if Roadhouse <laughs> Garden became Paisley Park. <laughs> Imagine if Paisley Park was just a truck stop with a little garden on <laughs> the back. Come on. There's still time. There's still time a to diner. get there. It was a diner. <laughs> but uh, like um, Player said, I like Roadhouse Garden a lot more than Our Destiny. Our Destiny is just sort of... Like, I'd probably put Our Destiny as, like, the weakest track on the album. And it's probably just because Prince isn't on it singing. But, yeah, like, also, I do prefer the Jill Jones version that she put out. So that's all i got to say. All right, all right, all right. One thing I forgot to mention was I just can't believe how much A-grade material he was recording around this time. I mean, in addition to all the other songs we've spoken about, how good are these vault songs? Just, just in general, just a comment out of the blue. Like, these Vault songs are bloody good. They may not be finished. They may be demos, some of them. But the level of creativity coming out of this guy's mind, and it must be said, out of the minds and contributions of the Revolution band members as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, they deserve so much love and praise. Just unfathomable, the amount of amazing music coming out of that Roadhouse Garden in Minneapolis around this time sh- in the early to mid-80s. I'm sure we talked about this at some point somewhere, probably on Around the World in a Day or Parade, maybe. Just the Revolution and Prince together writing songs, you know, where the, the sum of the parts is greater mm-hmm. than the that thing. Yeah, yeah. With Wendy and Lisa writing songs with Prince, it was just unbelievable, the stuff they came up with. Like, they showed him new things, and it just 
took his brain somewhere else and it just went off. It was crazy. And then you add virtuosity of Matt Fink as well. And then you add Brown Mark with thundering bass and just a youthful energy, plus Bobby Z, the mainstay in the band by this stage. Also pioneering in many ways, you know, electro, electro sounding drums, especially in a live context, but I'm sure he was playing around a lot in the warehouse. So it's just like everything came together around this time. And that's why you can listen to songs that haven't been released or heard ever and were recorded 33 years ago and they sound f- fresh. They sound colorful. They sound vibrant. Speaking of colorful and vibrant, Toe Jam, what do you think of Our Destiny and Roadhouse Garden? I like them. I don't think they're as strong as Prince Folklore may have suggested. I'll start with Our Destiny. It starts, like you've been saying, with... Um, sounds to me like the Novi Novog strings from Purple Rain Around the World in the Day, not the Claire Fisher ones that he used for Parade and onwards, basically. Uh, it has had some sort of smaller violin ensemble sort of sound to it. There's a lot of suspense in the beginning, like the way though that kick drum's going and suddenly these big hits come in. It's kind of cool. Um, the melody is an interest, like it's an interesting verse melodically wise. The big chorus is this big descending run. Da, 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 da. It is kind of operatic. I, I have to agree with, I can't remember who said it. I don't find Lisa's vocal strong enough to carry the song. And so that may be why later he got Jill Jones to redo it or something. I don't know. That's my guess. I like the bridge. There's a nice bridge chord. It sounds kind of parade to me where it has that big slow triplet. Da, 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 kind of thing. Sort of very artistic European kind of thing. But that's kind of it for our destiny. Uh, Roadhouse Garden. I've, the first thing I've written is no bass. I think Larry Graham could have slapped the funk out of this one with some octave bass slapping. <laughs> Prince's vocal comes in. It's an interesting kind of structure in that it's sort of a six-bar structure. You've got chord one, which goes for four bars. Then you've got chord five, and it goes for two bars. And so you'd expect it to go for either four bars or go back to one for another two to complete the eight bars. But it sort of does this six-bar thing, which kind of sounds like it always sounds like the next verse jumps in a bit early than when it normally would. It's just kind of interesting. It reminds me of the song Train, which was also recorded around this era and eventually got released on a Mavis Staples album a few years later. You've got the sound effects like the tooting train and the garden hose. I just don't think it's that strong of a song. I don't know. I don't I don't get much from it. I think I was like MC. When I heard the title Roadhouse Garden from Prince Folklore, I always imagined um like a psychedelic Hendrix rock album. That's what I was imagining. I don't know why. Uh, with kind of revolution kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, these are good. They're interesting. I kind of feel like they fit together fairly well, kind of like um, the way Black Muse is mixed with another song as well. I forget what its title is, but, you know, they kind of, that's like two songs that are sort of split together, but oh, it's only like one track thousand, on the album. A thousand, a thousand something. Uh, a thousand light years away. Yeah, like those, that, they're clearly different songs, but they split them together, put them as one track. It kind of works. That's all I really have to say about it. I think it's good. It's nice to have. It's good to hear. It is a different kind of, it's sort of, showing where the Purple Rain sound was kind of headed towards that Around the World in the Day parade sound. It's kind of, it's in that direction. So it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting to hear because, you know, if you've only heard the official albums, you know, there's every album and that era and that sound for that album. But then you start getting these tracks which are like, well, that's like halfway in between this and that. And you can hear like, oh, he was going over there. And it it is, it's really I don't we'll keep saying the word interesting, but it is. It's like fascinating to like see some behind the scenes. You know, this is how his brain was going. He was like going from this and then he was moving over to that. 
and this was in the middle, and you can hear like both. It's just cool. It's good stuff. I'm really intrigued what the listeners thought. Survey players. Okay, so there is a uh, 11 tracks on this album. What I decided to do with this particular track, though, was label it as 5A and 5B so that people Split could it. rate uh, Our Destiny and Roadhouse Garden separately. And the results are interesting. So for Our Destiny, it came 10th. So, like, Ooh. technically, there's 11 tracks on this album, but really there's 12 rankings because of that 5A, 5B. So it came 10th at 32%. So third last, Roadhouse Garden came eighth at fifty-two percent. So twenty percent more likability in the Roadhouse Garden. So that's where where it came. Our Destiny tenth, Roadhouse eighth. I wonder how much the rating for Roadhouse Garden suffered because it possibly just didn't live up to the folklore that was in people's brains. Because that name's been around for so long. And people, some people expected this, and some people expected that. I don't know. Yeah, that could that could have had something to do with it for sure. I think it'll definitely rate higher if Larry Graham does a version. <laughs> I can't wait to hear. <laughs> Larry, that. get on the mic. Give us your version of Roadhouse Garden. Road. Road. Let's go into song number six. You love your daffodil. <laughs> <laughs> Song number six, another unreleased studio track. It's called Possessed. All of us have heard this in a live context because we are aware of the Syracuse show and we all saw that many, many years ago and recently. But this is the studio solo version. It's a solo performance by Prince. And I, for one, have never heard this before. Take it away, Toe Jam. Okay, uh, this is an, I'm finding this on a hard, hard one to review because I'm kind of torn about it. This was, I believe, there was an earlier version recorded, maybe 81, 82. And uh, my suspicion, or is it a suspicion, that it was much funkier and had less of that, because this one has a lot of that sort of oriental keyboard thing going on in the background. And I think it's kind of weird because it's this mix of this funky Prince James Brown thing, but then it's got this oriental keyboard thing. And that, to me, it, always, it doesn't sound, it sounds like that's an afterthought it's a good afterthought in the sense that it kind of suits the theme of the song, being possessed. It's got this kind of mysterious oriental thing. Um, but at the same time, it kind of loses more of that sort of funky comedic drive to it. So it's kind of, I'm kind of torn about it. One of our fans on Facebook said, listen to the beat and compare it to Want to Be Starting Something by Michael Jackson. And I was like, yeah, it's really similar to Want to Be Starting Something, that beat. Ah, oh, darn um, it. You took my notes. <laughs> I think that was Batman 89. He's, um, we've, I think we've all met him. He's a good guy. Shout yeah. out to Batman 89. There's no bass in this song again. So like when Doves Cry, like Roadhouse Garden, there's, there's no bass. And one has to wonder whether there was bass intended or whether this was just a, a style that Prince was experimenting with at the time. You've got that catchy synth, that... And again, what are the first two notes? It's the four and the three again. He loves doing that. <laughs> Perfect fourth to major third, mucking around with those two notes. Four and three is seven. Um, hang on a second. Oh, if well, that's, that's 
you're saying that's the synth bit. Then what's what's the oriental bit you're saying? Um, there's like a harp, like a keyboard harp thing, just runs all the way through the song, just like these two uh, notes that go back and forth. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And it kind of yeah, it's I know. Hypnotic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes it hypnotic, which is kind of fits the theme of the song, but it kind of loses some of the funk because of that. I think I like the big splat. You know, oh, I'm possessed. Splat, big horn splat. I love the horn bit at the end where he's like, you know, I love listening to the horns. And there's, it's all synth horns, obviously, but that's, that's really cool, that part. Really fluttery, spooky, but playful, I've written. And it gets kind of weird at the end where you have that sort of sound, like some sort of machine. And then he gets into that dark vocal, which is kind of like Seven, where he's got this big uh, multi-layered vocal saying, how have you ever got the feeling that, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that you've been possessed, basically. It's nice to have the song. As we all know, we heard snippet of it in the Purple Rain movie, and it's one of those ones that everyone was always like, oh, one day this would be cool to have released. So it is good to finally have it in some sort of official release. But I, every time I listen to it, I just can't help but feel that I think I may have preferred the funkier earlier version than the kind of more, instead of the overdubbed Oriental stuff. So I'm kind of torn about it because it, it sort of works and it sort of doesn't. I'm not, I'm not sold either way yet. So that's my review of Possessed. I'll just finish by saying the live version on the VHS slash DVD is like one of my favorite moments on that show. Hard to disagree with that live performance, but I will say you surprised me, Tojem, because there was something that I was expecting you to say about this song that you didn't. About I thought you might have been replaced by no, no. Oh, okay. I thought that you might have possibly picked up on how dark this song is <laughs> i would say this could be one of the darkest songs that he has ever recorded and never put out i mean it is so chilling and eerie to me i've never heard this before i agree that a live version in syracuse is fantastic but that's just a jam like that's like a funny james brown-esque ah, i'm possessed yeah okay great but this <laughs> This is a weird <laughs> piece of music. I like, think the lyrical, I don't know, the theme of the song is dark, but it's a pretty lightweight song, I think, even oh, I though think the, the topic of the lyrics to... actually being possessed could be, you know, spooky. It's not like a scary, is, dark yeah. song. I think the music is pretty eerie. It is weird. This is a weird track. Like, this is a great song to listen to privately you do not want to be playing this song with your windows down in your car you don't want to be playing it when people come over to your place for a drink or some food or you know just to chill out like this is alone time what you do is up to you but you're doing it alone that's all i'm saying there's some strange sounds you you're doing, if you're doing things alone to this song there could be something wrong with you <laughs> i'm passing i'll no just judgment. say that all I'm saying is there's some strange sounds, there's some weird elements in this. He actually sounds a little possessed in his vocal delivery. He's singing very freely here, and it's known within the Prince fan community that he's taken a number of takes of this track, like plenty of vocal takes, a few instrumental takes. He's very loose here. It's unsettling to me. There's an unsettling undercurrent beneath the music. The synth horn breakdown around the three and a half minute mark is really cool. His screams are clear as crystal. The high notes are clear. The lead synth line melody is really memorable. The beat is really percussive as well. And uh, there's these tubular bell-like sounds in the background. It might be a harp. I'm that's, not that's sure. The, yeah, that's the thing he was talking about. Yeah. I'm not sure uh, what it is. Spelling out possessed letter by letter is mm. freaking spooky to me like that's spooky electric if i've ever heard him 
the synth chord line that goes upwards in the progression around the five and a half minute mark is a little scary, a little spooky. The lyrics that follow this are troubled. I'll just say that. He, the guy has got issues big time. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to repeat the lyrics. Read them if you like. And the kick drum that goes into overdrive, overdrive towards the end of this song. Michael Jackson himself would be pretty happy with the percussive programming on here. And Toe Jam went first and he stole my notes or someone else stole my notes. Batman 89. <laughs> the end of the track is so propulsive that it leaves Michael Jackson's song Wannabe starting something dead in its tracks. Dead in its tracks. Like this is just propulsive to the nth degree. It's a fantastic little solo Prince number, but it kind of creeps me out, guys. Now you talk about there's some disturbing things in this song. Like I said, there's a lot of this like early eight, like 80, 81, 82. There's lots of weird things in a lot of songs, some released, some not. There was some disturbing things going on in this guy's brain. Big time. And, and some of them like ended up like on songs. I'm sure some people are aware there's a, the original unreleased version of Extra Lovable. That's got some disturbing stuff on it. And yeah, there's a, I don't know, something went wrong in his brain. I don't know. <laughs> but He probably yeah. didn't see it like that at the time. He probably thought it was just like a rock and roll thing. You know, parents don't want your kids listening to this kind of thing. You know, he probably saw yeah, it like that way. But, but that's the thing that yeah. I thought. Was it, was it there just for the shock value or was it there yeah. because he thought, oh, this is just what's going on in my brain. Let's put it in a song. Or was <laughs> it there just for the sake of like, let's make the kids listen to something shocking? I don't know what the answer is. We probably never when will. He talk, when he talks about something being in his body, like, it's just really creepy. Creeps me the heck out. <laughs> He's going insane. You know, what's going on inside my brain? Something's in my body, baby. Something's in my... It's just... Yeah. Player, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah. Aside from the Purple Rain movie, the first time I heard this was on a bootleg, and it was just an instrumental of like exactly what you hear in the Purple Rain movie, <gasps> but longer. Bootleg. It's actually it's actually this song without lyrics, so like the length of this song without lyrics. And I just always thought that that was the song, really. I mean, you get a hint in Syracuse that there is lyrics to it, but like I, you said, MC, I thought that was just like a kind of ad-libbing jam, James Brown style, hey, the kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of it's kind of surprising that we get the actual music that we all know and love and the lyrics as well. So, and it does have that James Brown kind of delivery about it and thematically like what we were saying earlier with Computer Blue and all that there's these inner tussles where, you know, like the lyrics something's the matter baby, I'm going insane, something inside of me keeps talking to my brain, why can't I stop this satanic lust? I know I shouldn't hold you but my body says I must. So like, you know, this there's, there's these inner things in his head that he's like debating with himself and there's definitely those themes without not only purple rain but this period so it's kind of interesting the part where he says about the horns and it's the keyboard line to me that sounds really 84 breakdance kind of sound about it like he's gonna bust out the lino or the cardboard <laughs> mat and break dance with a tape deck or something it just it's really cool i really like that so yeah i, I love this song because of the James Brown part of it, because of the music, there's yeah, there's a lot of elements to it. I think it's really cool. The other thing that's interesting is it's labeled as possessed in brackets 1983 version, which is funny because this actual version is 84. It's like a whole 12 months after they claim what it is on the yeah. actual album. So that's kind of interesting. 
All right, all right, all right. And Captain, possessed. This song, just under eight minutes. I don't want to say too much in this whole review, but this is just another classic synth hook. Not every synth hook he did was great, but there were a lot of great ones, and this is one of them. And it's interesting, before the snare comes in, there's this little hand clap sound, which is only in the right hand side, but then it's echoed in the left just after. It's a really cool effect. Listen to it on headphones. It's cool. And the vocals on this track. I'm not really a fan of this sort of like breathy, light vocal, but it it fits this track so well that it's okay. MC already said, and we've already said in this so far in this review about the kick drum on this album. And this is just more of it. There is some insane double, even triple kick drum near the end of this track. It's just crazy stuff. Uh, There's some really interesting backing vocal harmonies. 134 to 142, 229 to 240. Listen to that. Uh, There's some nice keyboard around 218. Again, not sure who's playing it. It's, um, It's somebody. And Toe already said, I think my favorite part in this whole track is just that big synth hit after he says, I'm possessed, and then just, bam, just hits you. It's so good. Every time I hear that, it doesn't matter how many times I hear it, it's just like, bam, oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, then he got, yeah, he got that synth breakdown, 334. Then he does some weird cry at 347. That's great stuff. Then he does the great high note at four minutes. You can tell this is sort of not a completed track because he's saying, somebody say, yeah, and there's nothing. And he says it a bunch of times, and there's, there's, it's call and response, but there's no response because he didn't record it yet. It's just the call. I like the five-minute spot where he starts spelling out the word like MC did. He did the same thing in, um, is it DMSR? I think in DMSR he spells out the thing as well, which is only, uh, you know, no, very he, similar he in, to this. He does it in the song Sex, the B-side to... Uh, oh, he does it in Sex, Batman yeah. S-E-X, S-E-X. But he d- I'm sure he does it in DMSR, like near the end of the track. He actually spells oh, out know. DMSR. Doesn't he do it on a Diamonds and Pearls song as well, I think? Possibly. Which one? E to the I to the A to the M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else? We've got the crazy sounds, 526 to 542. He's just playing around with his sound effects. Toe Jam said this part, there's an interesting part at 555 where he says, have you ever felt like whatever he says? It really doesn't sound like it even belongs in this track. Yeah. It just seems a bit out of place. And that part sounds a lot more like revolutionary even before that whole thing was a thing. You know, this isn't like 85 revolution time, but it sounds like it, even though it's way before. But yeah, it's a weird part that it just doesn't seem like it fits. Uh, you've got especially just mental kick drum after about 6.17. It'll just blow your head off. And MC said that part where he's like, someone's in my body, someone's in my body. And then it sounds like he says, someone's in my box. <laughs> Listen to that line. Yeah, I can't two, figure out what he's saying. The first two, it's clearly body. But the last one, it sounds like box. And I'm like, I don't understand what that means. Maybe I'm just hearing something. I don't know. But it sounds like box. I don't know how it makes any sense. More insane drumming in the last minute. Not just kick drum, but just everything. And then it's the end of the song. And this is um, this is one of my favorite songs on this disc, actually. It's just, just a jam. It's good. It's good stuff. Well, Captain, it may be one of your favorite songs, but I need to talk to Player. Oh. So that he can share with us the survey results of what <gasps> our fans and listeners have voted for. What do they think of Possessed, Player? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Possessed 
at 52% of the vote comes seventh overall in the survey. Yeah. There you go. Kind of hovering around the halfway point. Yeah. Yeah. So that was track number six. And speaking of the number seven, we're about to get into it. (gasps) Seven. Song number seven, Wonderful Ass. Ass. Or for all you American listeners, wonderful AS. AS. <laughs> uh, player. I don't know why I went to him after I said that's the name of that song, but just tell us what you think about <laughs> of the track, all right? Oh, then you want me to talk about the track, the right? Track, the track, oh. yes. That screws up my whole thing. Oh, all right. <laughs> um, that sounds just horrible. Just off the top of the dong. <laughs> I, I, really, I really love this song. I really love it. And the mastering on this version it sounds like really bright and maybe a bit too loud but i love this song i love turning it up it just has a groove about it and like there's so much reverb and and like some really cool shit that he does like instrumentation wise i'm you know there's parts where i'm sitting there thinking like how does he make that sound or how does he get that sound you know which is great like when you listen to prince music it's like you know you kind of think how does you know how does he do that kind of stuff and it makes Prince Prince, it makes him unique. Like, there's no other artist that would release a song like this, like either thematically or just in the execution of its sounds. You know, it's very uniquely Prince. It's really, really good. The thing is, is over the years, it's been on bootleg. And I think they've tagged this a lot with like 1986 releases. So like when they put it on this album, I kind of think, even though it was of this era, like I kind of always associated it like later in the revolution canon. So I was kind of a bit thrown when I saw it on the on the track list, but I really love it. It's got that sound and it's got that um mediate thing that In Excess did years later, which a lot of people go, Oh, Prince ripped that off, but really like <laughs> he did it here first. So Way before. Yeah, way before. So if anything, it's it's in excess that ripped it off. But Oh we know um, Hutchins liked a bit of Prince. Yeah, he did. So maybe he had this early as a bootleg. Maybe a bit of inspiration. Oh, I, doesn't so, Bob Dylan do something in one of his old songs? You know, the one where yeah, he's got he the cards? Yeah, cards. Like, yeah. That's I thought it's not as, like, the comparison between this and uh, in excess yeah, media single is words. way closer. Yeah, because yeah. 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 it's single words, whereas Dylan's was, like, lyrics. Mm. I just love this track, like, the way it makes me feel when I listen to it. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of my favorite songs, one of my favorite Prince songs. Nice. Very good. Sound quality on this is great, isn't it, player? It's uh, although it's a little bright, it's it's very bright. Um, yeah, it might have a little too much treble. I actually like it. It reminds me of the yeah. mix of Sexual Suicide on Crystal Ball Project. It's just like it's all that yeah. <laughs> sort of like yeah, that hi hat's very crispy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome. And the part at one fifty five where they sing single words one after another. This. Uh, comparison to the in excess song mediate which came out in 97 in 1987 and did exactly the same thing i actually wish it wasn't in this because i feel like it doesn't really belong like it's not relevant yeah. to what the song's about it kind of it kind yeah. of comes out of the blue it's like what are you really going for here i agree with that but it's so clear like the bells and whistles you're so right like they're so easy to make out in this mix the bass is well defined the percussive hi-hat that you the player mentioned they're a bit shrill but you can't complain when you hear it this clear. So this is a funky jam of a song. The little bass solo three quarters of the way through. 
fantastic. The descending keyboard scales around 430 mark are really nice too. The melodic guitar solo really deep in the mix finishes it all off with a few typical Prince screams thrown in for good measure. Like every instrument, especially the drum machine programming, goes into overdrive towards the end of the song where it basically explodes in a, uh, to quote a... The, the wonderful ass explodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> basically yeah god he's as funky as he wants to be uh or for all our american listeners funky as he want to be and uh man you just don't mess with this track you want to play prince pure unadulterated funk to someone you cannot go wrong with bumping this one turning it up loud and uh watching the party get super weird <laughs> but it's got a, it's got a lot of hit elements like if this came out as, I mean, you know, you would have to censor it at the time that it came out. It probably wouldn't have got rotation on radio, but it, like as an underground hit, like DMSR and stuff, mm. would have been really popular, this song. Like, and he, he executes it like this and vaults it, like puts in the yeah. vault. Like, that's fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> it is Who pretty crazy that? when you think about it. It is pretty crazy when you think about this is the sort of music that Prince didn't release Kept in the vault, yeah. and but we and get dis- graffiti bridge and wedding feast and all those wonderful tracks. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. <laughs> it's very, very weird. Captain, what do you think about this one? This is again. This is up there with in the top three best songs on this disc. I, I can't nail them down, but yeah, it's in the top three for sure. And that's before the vocals even start. The groove is just great. First, you've got that main groove at like five seconds in. And then another synth starts up 14 seconds in, then 23 seconds, it all kicks off. And master of the groove. It's just so good. All those elements just, you're only 20 seconds into the song and it's just blowing your head off straight away. It's super funky. I don't know what else I can even say about it. I made a song. I made a song years ago, which had the same like two simple hit <laughs> thing in it. So when I heard this, I'm like, oh my god, I'm a genius just like Prince. <laughs> it's so cool to hear. Was anyone else in the room at the time? That's what I want to know. So you didn't accuse him of ripping you off again? Well, he did record this first, but I didn't hear it <laughs> so until after I'd recorded it, so it's hard to say who did what. Oh, um, <laughs> it's just cool to hear he did the exact same thing on this track, so I'm happy with that. Like, yeah, you already said, 155, he does all those rhyming words. I did that too in another song. And no, sure, wait a second. everyone, wait a everyone's Captain, done it. Captain, everyone's Captain, done I gotta, it. I got to call you out on this. You got you to gotta put those two things, those two references that you made, you got to find them, put them at the end of this episode for all of our Ooh. listeners. They need to hear it. If I, oh, You've got to you know find them. I think them. I could. I think I could. I know where one That'd of them is. That would be hilarious. Maybe do an I A-B comparison between them. Yeah, Captain's <laughs> version is just masturbate, masturbate, <laughs> <laughs> masturbate. <laughs> And every time he repeats the word, it just gets a little bit less energetic. (laughs) A bit less quieter every time. And then I start crying, and it's the end of the song. It's great. (laughs) And he calls it Wonderful Ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Wow. (laughs) A wonderful night. This yes. was yeah. This was supposedly about vanity. I read somewhere, so that's interesting to know. And this is this is again. It's a very revolution sounding track. I love the funky guitars at three forty six. 
And then they're saying the revolution will be heard. And then there's a big change, 427, with different synth lines come in. And you can really hear when electric guitar comes in at 505. I just wish that was mixed a bit louder in the mix. But again, it is what it is. And yeah, like MC said, the last like 30 seconds, guitar's just going crazy. The ending of this with that sort of sound, electric guitar, it reminds me of another track, which I'm just trying to think of. It might be something like Witness for the Prosecution or something, or um, maybe something, oh, I don't know, on the Black Album or Camille or something. There's another song that just ends with that just mental guitar at the end, and it's sort of buried in the mix as well. Maybe Rebirth of the Flesh, I can't remember. Right. Something like that. But yeah, great song. Great, great song. It sounds really good, and it's great. All right, a lot of thumbs up here. Toe Jam, it's up to you to spoil this. No, I'm not going to spoil it. I, I really rate this as, I mean, it's up there as maybe one of my favorite songs. It's in there. It's up the ass. <laughs> oh, no. It's up there. Please continue. I'll try. I mean, I think one of you said it, I think it was MC. If you're making a compilation disc of songs that represent the Minneapolis sound, I mean, this yeah. has to be in there, I think. I mean, the synths in this are really oh, cool. Yeah. They're really bright. Just big, chunky chords and bright, chunky synth. Ugh, yummy chords. Um, lots of chicken scratch. you got Lindrum. It's just classic Minneapolis sound. It's a very circular kind of song in the sense that you've got this phased guitar that kind of turns and, and the melody is this da 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 It's this like circle. It just keeps going around. So that's kind of cool. It's got a really cool synth hook, that really interesting way it jumps around all over the place. It's just a really fun song to listen to. Like it's just, it's not trying to be anything other than just a fun song about the beauty of a woman's ass, I think. There's a lot of little jokes in there as well where there's one part he's like, you know what I'm talking about. And you hear Wendy or Lisa go, yeah, like just really not really caring kind of thing. Cool break. <laughs> that was their whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love the part where you hear Wendy and Lisa going, the revolution will be heard. And the first time they say it, they sound really confident. And then like a few seconds later, they say it again, but they're like less confident. They're like, the revolution <laughs> will be heard. It's just, I don't know what's going on there. It's just really funny. I always laugh at that bit. You know what? That's a joke. They say the revolution will be heard and he vaults the track. No one ever hears it. You know, it's a joke. <laughs> Could be. Never know. <laughs> Uh, I love the distorted jazz guitar kind of thing at the end. Really cool chromatic kind of lines. I think I rate this as one of the best outtakes that I've heard that didn't get an official release while he was alive. And it is hard to know why. I mean, maybe it just I mean, it probably didn't fit on the albums that came after. Player was saying he hears this and considers it like an 86 kind of sound. I always hear this as like an 82 kind of song. Like to me, it has more of that. 99 that yeah. kind of cold all the Simpson sort of stuff does yeah but then you've got the Wendy and Lisa stuff as well yeah which sort of puts it a bit later in my brain yeah so mm. it's just a really fun song it's it's very hard not to listen to this and just have a big smile on your face because it's just so fun um it's funny it's it's just really cool that's all I'm, I'm all I'm gonna say about it you had a big smile on your face thinking about that wonderful ass my favorite part in this song is the bit that Captain alluded to. I think it was 427. We're just out of nowhere. Like, and it comes in a bar earlier again, like, than what you might expect something new to happen. Oh, the change. Yeah. This totally different synth line. Just. That's such a funky line. Yeah. He just knows how to catch those funky lines with a fishing rod. It's cool. <laughs> such a funky man. I love the joke that Tojam said, the revolution will be heard, and then he never released the track. I think that's the that's the biggest joke of all. That's great. <laughs> that's hilarious. 
Oh. Eight thumbs up from the Peach and Black podcast panel. Now, what I really want to know is, player, what did the uh, survey voters think of Wonderful Ass the track? The listeners voted this very high at 70%. It came third. Wow. Third highest track on the album. Oh, I was right. I said top three and it was number three. Classic funk. There's an interesting trend between the top three or four songs. They're all about very similar things and they're funky as heck. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. All right, let's keep the show rolling. We are up to track number eight. The title of this song is called Velvet Kitty Cat. It is another unreleased song on this disc two of the Purple Rain Deluxe album. And I'm going to hand this one over to Captain to talk about. Captain, what are your thoughts on this? Okay, MC, remember all the way back at the start of the show... 400 hours ago where you said you didn't know what anybody's thing was when we were in the introduction my line was from this song that tells you how many times i've heard it yeah in this song he says he's gonna eat up all my cookies until he gets fat it's great great line anyway this song was allegedly written for the time but never got used by them in the end but it sounds more like something that would have been on like vanity album or something i thought that's what i thought it was written for oh Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's allegedly something else. Who knows? But it's a really, it's a simple song and it's lacking the more complicated things that ended up in fully finished songs. But again, this could still be a bit of a demo, not a fully completed track, but yeah, I don't mind it. I don't know if it's it's because it's more of a basic track. It's just got this charm to it, which maybe a more developed song might not have. I don't know. But there's some really nice sounding guitar parts. 39 seconds in and 46 seconds in, just little guitar bits. I think we could all take a guess what this song is actually about. <laughs> but I'm just not going to have any comment on that. Um, it sounds to me like there's um, some real strings only in the left channel. You can just hear that. But it sounds like real strings. It doesn't sound like a keyboard or something else, so I don't know. But my thing with this song is that I think this is a fair representation of maybe at least 20-30% of songs in the vault. They're just like basic tracks that were just recorded in a day or two and never really fitted anywhere, so they just got chucked in the vault and they just sat there. And I think at one point, there's always the rumor, it was one song a day he was writing, that the legend that he'd love to mention in interviews here and there. And But obviously, if you're doing that, they can't all be, you know, when doves cry. They're not all masterpieces and they're not all great. I'm sure there's a lot of songs just like this, but that's fine. They're still good. I'll still listen to them. I know some people who try to write a song a day just as an exercise, and maybe in a year they'll have loads of crap songs, but they might have at least 10 or 12 good tracks that they could work with. So That's an album. That's an album right there. That's an album. Yeah, one a year. That's fine. But um, yeah, I like the song. It's. I don't think there's much more you could do with this song, though. Like I'm saying, it sounds a bit like a demo and it's not fully developed, but I don't know what more you could do because a lot of that stuff for the early stuff for the time and Vanity, it was really basic stuff. There wasn't loads of tricky things like all ended up on later Prince tracks as he developed his magical studio effects and everything. So that's all I got to say. Yeah, I mean, to me, this is Prince on autopilot. Like it's okay, but he doesn't really sound like he's into it that much. The way he sings it and it's got that. 
half demo like quality. It's way too much of a little ditty for me to really enjoy this one. It's a bit of a skipper. I guess you could call it a throwaway. But to Captain's point, and you make a really good point here, with the amount of material that he was recording around this time, this is the sort of stuff that he may have churned out in a few hours one day or one night and just moved on to something else. So that's basically it. One thing about the vocal, like you're saying he doesn't sound that into it, you know, if this was for the time or vanity or whoever, it is just a guide vocal. He's not going to mm. put all the effort in and the screams and everything when he's just going to hand it off to someone and go, yeah, here you go, do something yeah. with that. But I do like the sound of his voice on this track. It's, it's cool just, to hear. It's, it's just his normal voice. There's no falsetto. There's no mm. screaming. It's just his normal voice. I like it. Yeah, it's his natural, what would you call it? His natural register. And he's just yeah. messing around. So, yeah, like the vocal's a little funny. It's a little playful. But I think you're spot on. It sounds like a guide vocal. And who knows if Apollonia or Vanity or anyone else ever re-recorded this or used the basic tracks and then added a vocal on it. Who knows? To me, it's this is not a highlight. But let's not forget, disc two is about vault and unreleased material. So from that perspective, it gives every song on this album, on this disc anyway, gives the listener a chance to learn more about Prince the Artist. So, you know, everything is going to offer something, even if it's just a different perspective of what he was doing at the time. Like you said with um, Love and Sex, this was another song which I'd just never heard of, Mm. to my knowledge. Like you saw it on the track list and you're like, what is that? Mm. So whether you had a high expectation or not, I don't know. But still, it's a totally unknown song that we got to hear. So that's something, Yeah. yeah. And now it's totally known by uh, everyone who's heard it. <laughs> Player, now that you know of this song and have heard it, what do you think? Uh, oh, that, that's Toe James trademark. Uh. <laughs> that's, that's basically the review right there. <laughs> when I listen to it, I can kind of hear potential in it. Before I get to that, first of all, I get to the quality. I know this city was mastered by Bernie Grumman, and I know he's working with just the tapes that he's got and Prince recorded on the fly, you know, in different qualities and stuff. But you back this up with um, Wonderful Us and, like, you can notice, like, that loud and bright in its sound quality and then this really drops down in quality when you reach this track. It's really demo-ish and, you know, you really kind of notice it and you think, what's this? And, you know, the other thing is it's was never designed for the Purple Rain project, so it's kind of like, you know, it's cool to have but it doesn't really fit and it's just kind of really out of whack. When I listen to this song... I can see potential in it. I can see that Prince, you know, maybe around the planet Earth era, you know, pulling this out and doing it with the twins or something. I can just see him sort of vamping it up and I could actually see him being really playful and poppy with it and make actually turn this, you know, less than stellar song into a kind of little hit, you know, maybe like in the same vein as guitar, like on planet Earth, like that sort of thing, like, I can see that he could have put a lot more into it vocally and vamp up the instruments and really sort of make a a song out of it. Kind of a little bit like how Maserati took Kiss, you know, it was just a simple demo, gave it to them. You know, they turned it into his funk workout and he says, no, I'm having that back kind of thing. Now I can see him doing that with this track, even though it's nothing really there on the surface. I think he could have made something with this. There are so many puns in your review. I'm, I'm, I'm almost cracking up at everything. <laughs> There's something there on the surface. He just pulled it out and played around with the twins. I mean, seriously, <laughs> behave yourself. But as it is in this format, it's it's just a bit 
lackluster and dull and there's so much exciting music on the Purple Rain soundtrack. It's just like, you know, could have gone on somewhere, somewhere else, some other release, you know. But anyway, it is what it is, so. All right, all right. Uh, it's so dull talking about the Velvet Kitty Cat. It's, no? Okay. Toe Jam, uh, what do you think of this track? Um, I think you guys have covered it pretty much. It's pretty forgettable song, but how, how do you review a track like this? I mean, it's a forgettable kind of t- song. If this was on an album, I would call it the most skippable on the album. But having said that, how do you how do you you can't slam this song because it's it's on a collection of outtakes. So again, from the historical point of view, it's it's a nice thing to have. Um, you can make arguments about well, you know, that there may have been better songs in the vault that would have been better on here, and that's probably true. But at the same time, I'd rather have it than not. The title is a very princey title, Velvet Kitty Cat. He always had that sort of um, cat and dog theme sort of in the background in the 80s, songs like Scarlet Pussy and La La La, He He He. Um, you had Cat, you know, Cat Glover. You've got that noise on beat three that it sounds like a cat purr that comes up every, every now and then. <laughs> That's pretty much my review of the song. It's and, uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like Captain said, It's this is something that Prince probably recorded in an afternoon, just a little idea. You know, he's got an hour to go before he's got to get to a sound check or something. And he's like, oh, I've got this little idea. I might just try that. And, and that's it. It goes in the vault. And, you know, he didn't release it for a reason. And I suspect that reason is he didn't think it was up to quality. And um, I don't think it's up to quality either. I mean, it's it's a, I sound really arrogant, not arrogant. I sound really um, judgmental saying that, but it's like, it's just the truth. It's just an average kind of song. So that's all I'm mm-hmm. going to say about it. Well, well, you do have to be judgmental. That's why we're here. We're reviewing the songs. Be as judgmental <laughs> yeah, as you it, want. It's our opinion, idea. and that's it. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, most of us, I'm sure, have dabbled in songwriting to some degree, and we all have like these little ideas and we try them, and then we listen back to it the next day and go, eh, that's just pretty forgettable. Nah, everything I wrote's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the historical point of view, it's interesting to have, but I mean, there's a reason it didn't get on an album. I'll just say that. All right. Well, we move into track number nine now. Which no, is called... we don't. No, no we shit. Don't. Honest mistake. <laughs> Let's uh, hand it over back to player now. Pass the baton to our voting meister. What happened with the vote? How did this track fare, player? The listeners voted this, the wooden spoon. It came last. Oh, at 26%. No real surprise, right? No. I am surprised, actually. I thought this would oh, be low, but I, didn't, but I didn't think this would be last. All right. Well, this song uh, came last in the poll, which seems to agree with what the four of us have said, which is good. Always nice when that happens. Doesn't always happen. So we proceed to song number nine. This one is called Katrina's Paper Dolls. Katrina makes paper dolls. They all look the same. They play the same games. Katrina makes paper dolls. I'm going to hand the mic over to Player to open up our review of this track. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Again. Yeah, again. This is kind of more of the same. I mean, it does sound of the era, like especially that drum beat. It it does sound very Lynn Drumish. Sounds like the stuff recorded in the warehouse. But yeah, it just it doesn't seem to move this song. Like there is like little parts where vocally it sort of goes in like different directions a little bit. It sounds like a bridge part, but for the whole, it just it's just kind of lacking. I think it's 
that was intended for maybe vanity because her middle name's Katrina. So, you know, I think there's some sort of connection there with vanity, but mm. otherwise it's just nothing there for me. I can't get excited about this song. Although having said that, especially like a day like today, it's been stuck in my head and it's been playing in my head <laughs> over and over. So I guess maybe the annoying ones get stuck in your head most. <laughs> Is that what happens? It's an earworm. Yeah. yeah. So it's been in my head all the time. So it must have something there, but yeah, it just, it just doesn't do anything for me. Sorry. Let's see if it does something for anyone Let's go to Toe Jam. Are you feeling this? Um, definitely a little bit more than Velvet Kitty Cat. Again, I think it's a kind of demo-y thing that's sort of a nice little song that he wrote one afternoon. Uh, but I think this one's definitely less forgettable. I think it sounds a bit more heartfelt. It's not pretending to be something more than it is, just like it's a nice little song. Uh, I like the way he alters his vocal performance. Like sometimes he's talking, like in the verses, sometimes he's singing, sometimes he's humming. He changes it up, which is good. You know, the kind of hooky keyboard motif, I guess, that dun-dun-dun-dun. Again, it's playing on that major three and perfect fourth notes, which he loved doing in this era. I've mentioned it a million times doing the Purple Rain Review and songs from this era. Yep. It's kind of an interesting song. It's it's like lyrically, the idea of this girl who's kind of given up on men and she makes paper dolls instead, and but the paper dolls aren't any more reliable than uh, the real thing. So it's got like a nice little idea. And you know, obviously the girl is fine, as she always is in a print song. Uh, I haven't got much more to say about it. I like it. It's got a good pre-chorus leading up to it. Yeah, the pre-chorus. It is kind of catchy. Like I think, yeah. I think it's a it's a much more enjoyable song. You can listen to this and enjoy it just as a nice kind of relaxing kind of song. And and I think kind of got this reflective mood to it that's quite somewhat heartfelt. I think so. Yeah, it, it's nice. It's a nice little song. Captain, what do you think of this track? Does anyone know what he says at the start? Is it like French or something? I don't know. I can't really understand what he's saying. Right yeah, I'd like to know what it is. Twitter, people, come on, tell me what he says. Okay, this song, I really like, probably my favourite thing in this song are the backing vocals, especially on the bridge in this track. Like, all the way through, he just does a great harmony on the backing vocals. Mm. And not, not even just on this song, like, in many songs. Sometimes he just does the, a great harmony, and it's not always the one you'd expect that someone would do for a backing vocal, and it's always interesting to hear what he's going to do. We've said this before, but even if you say this is one of the weakest tracks on this whole disc, it's still better than some other people's best tracks. And we've said that before. But again, it's probably not fully developed. It's still enough to keep me interested. I haven't decided if I like this one more or less than Velvet Kitty Cat. But I can hear what Toe Jam says. This just sounds a bit more real. Like there's some feeling behind it, but Velvet Kitty Cat feels just like a this is a, a songwriting exercise. I'm just going to sit down and write something. But this actually sounds like it was based on some something, some emotion or something that happened. I don't know. So, yeah, that's it. I'm actually completely surprised that this isn't potentially your favourite piece of music on here. Ah. And I, the reason I say that is because isn't this like the most obvious, pure 80s bubblegum pop attempt on this album, potentially? Possibly, but... For me, it's a it's a just a bit too light and fluffy. It's light exactly. and fluffy. That's what, it That's is. what I mean. <laughs> light and fluffy. Uh, light and fluffy. Eighties pop. Well, while I do love a really good pop song, I sort of bend a bit more to pop slash rock, and this yeah, is just too lightweight pop for me. A bit more poison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap trick. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, there you go. Starship, come on. Oh, Star Wars. No, let's not, let's not, let's not open up. That come on, We Built This City is one of the best songs ever recorded. No <laughs> argument. This would have been, I truly believe, this would have been an 80s pop hit. I'm not saying mega pop hit, but definitely pop hit at some point in the 80s for, for a band like The Cure. When they were coming out, like mid to early to mid 80s, which is exactly when this song was recorded, before The Cure started going in more into a really, in, in a different direction. In the uh, late 80s and early 90s, they became a little bit darkish. They, they're a funny band. They started out dark, then they went pure pop for a couple of albums, and then they went dark again. But I really think this, in the hands of Robert Smith and co, would have done much better than sitting in Prince's vault. And if he had handed this song over to a band like The Cure back in the mid-80s, I think this would have joined all of those other songs that he handed over to other artists uh, that became popular. Who knows how popular this song could have become? I'm not saying it's an amazing track. I'm just saying this big pop single territory. You know what I would compare this to? But obviously not as good, but a similar sort of like lightweight pop track. I'd say Raspberry Beret. It's it's not as good a track, but not as good. I'd, yeah. I'd put it in that same sort of just lightweight, fluffy, you know, 80s pop thing. Yeah, it's not bad. But yeah, I think like Raspberry Beret wasn't a huge hit either, but it, it did something. And mm. yeah, I reckon this could have done something as well. It's not bad. It's a bit of a sleeper on this. This song on this disc is contending with so many mega funk jams and other iconic songs, I guess. You know, songs like The Dance Electric and possessed which we spoke about and electric intercourse and computer blue hallway speech version which we <laughs> rambled oh, yeah. on about you know how, how do we how do we compare these two and a half minute tracks with 11 12 minute jams it's it's yeah. impossible yeah exactly so i do think it could have been a hit and if not for the cure for some other new wave british band in in the mid 80s or of that era even someone like the thompson twins probably could have had a ball with this or any of the one hit wonders like Tears i'm for thinking <laughs> yeah <laughs> you never know human, human league <laughs> that's right so who, who knows i mean could have been anyone maybe not aha although <laughs> with, their, with their broken english this might have translated quite well who knows the thing is uh th this track had had definite potential i think and it's a bit of a shame that it never came out at the time in saying that it's pretty simple like the lyrics are simple. They tell a story basically of a lonely girl whose man has left her and she's making dolls to spend her time, hoping for him to come back, you know, or something along those lines, waiting for another man, it seems. So it's an interesting topic in a really, really simple way. Sometimes the best songs are the simplest or the best themes are the simplest ones. And I reckon if this went on the on the pop charts in the mid 80s, potentially re-recorded by different artists or a popular band of the time i reckon the video would have had a lot of potential you know like you can imagine like a ballerina or something in a mansion all alone making these paper dolls and this really really new wave fluffy airy light pop beat in the background you know telling a story about how she just keeps replacing these making these paper dolls and it, that's a metaphor for all the men in her life and failed relationships like this this had this has serious potential i mean aside from that it's not necessarily a song that I think I'm going to get much out of on repeated listens. I will listen to it from time to time when I put this disc on, but I think in different hands, it could have been given a better execution. Let me put it this way. This, was, this song was a good idea, pretty good idea. It almost paid off, except that it stayed in the vault, so it didn't. 
Let me say this about this track. If this was written for Vanity, that means it was written before anything had been done on Purple Rain, because she pulled out just before that. Am I the only one who sees the connection between Paper Dolls and that weird little clown thing he has in the movie? I was thinking that. No, oh, interesting. I just thought of that, like, just now. I mean, that's not no. a paper thing, but it's a, it's a weird puppet. little... I, don't th- I, I think they are completely different items, but... Yeah, Katrina's puppet. Playing with dolls is, you know... But, but in, like, Purple Rain, you know, you've got that puppet thing. You've also got that close-up of the doll when, he, when they go into his room and everything. Like, mm. like yeah, the face mm. as well. Like, that kind of doll theme is, is sort of there it's in that in era. There. And she was planned to be in the movie early stages, so that's interesting. Some of the scenes were actually filmed before she pulled out as well, and they had to overdub. Like, there's a scene where yeah. Morris and Jerome are walking down the street talking, and, and if you watch carefully, like... The, yeah, Morris that Apollonia babe. Yeah. Yeah, and, and they have to overdub Apollonia uh, into yeah, it. So it was obviously that. filmed before she pulled out. Now that we've discussed two little pop ditties, it's, it's time, time to, to go to... Play- no, 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 wait a second. Girl, we've got to <laughs> go to player on this. And the survey, Captain. Don't, what, are you forgetting yourself? <laughs> What idiot forgets the survey? Where did this land on the survey, player? This came second last. Oh. 27%. 1% higher than Velvet Kitty Cat. So wow. they're right down there. Well, I suppose something, something's got to come last and second yeah. last. Yeah. And they're the two. Okay, then. 27%. There you go. <laughs> Bottom drawer stuff. Warner Brothers basement. None of this top shelf material that we've already spoken about. All right. Now, I'm going to take a... Deep breath before I announce this next song. And remember, this is an explicit podcast occasionally, so I think we can get away with this. <laughs> it's a family show. <laughs> the next song is called We Can Fuck. Take off. And we- there's no two there's no there's no two <laughs> ways or three ways about it. That's what the song is called. No, it's not. It's weekend F star star K. Asterisk <laughs> asterisk. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna go for what it sounds like they're saying. And uh that's definitely what it sounds like they're saying. Not to be confused with weekend funk, a version of this song that was released on the nineteen ninety graffiti bridge album. Oh yeah. Which is not a bad piece of music in its own right, but we're talking about the early version of that, a different version of that, a never before heard version of a song that many of us only became familiar with due to Graffiti Bridge. So all I'll say is this stuff is raw. R A W, like Big Daddy Kane used to say, raw like sushi. <laughs> this stuff is raw as heck. I got a lot to say about this, as I'm sure you guys do. I'm not going to spoil my thoughts just yet. This was supposedly recorded on New Year's Day in 1984. Can you imagine, like, waking up on the first day of the new year? What kind of mindset are you in? He must Clearly. have had a good night. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to know New Year's Eve 1983. Or actually, no, it would be New Year's Eve 1984, wouldn't it? Well, you're saying he woke up and recorded this? I doubt he even woke up. This was probably 3 a.m. New Year's morning. (laughs) It could have been. Imagine that. Wow. Who knows? Well, let's get straight into the music on this one. The year with a bang. (laughs) 
<laughs> Literally. <laughs> there was fireworks. This is a big jam. This is a big jam of a track. I don't know who to go to on this one. I, I almost feel like it's impossible. Let, let's all start talking over each other. No, don't do that. Uh, take it away, Captain. Okay. Is that because you think I might say it's not that great and you want to get me out of the way first? Uh, you know, I, I didn't think it through very Subconsciously. well. Subconsciously. <laughs> maybe, maybe slash, I reckon you probably have a fair bit to say about this, except you might not talk about the lyrics. That's that's what I'm going for. That's my that's, that's my bet. That's a pretty good guess. That I'm not going to yeah. talk about the lyrics. <laughs> okay. I mean, straight up, there is the argument that he wouldn't have wanted this released. But the simple answer to that is, while he was alive, that definitely was true. Obviously, things have changed, and that's that. So, the first thing I noticed about this track is how similar it was to the released version on Graffiti Bridge. When I saw this on the track list, I'm like, oh, it's going to be some way early version. It's going to be really different. But the basic tracks, like, exactly the same. I mean, obviously, things were added later on, and the length was edited down, but the bones of this song are exactly the same, like the drum beat and some of the things are exactly the same as on... Even some of the vocals are like... Yeah, exactly the same, Yeah, which surprised me. I thought it was just going to be like a different take, different recording, but it was some of it's exactly the same, which surprised me. I found myself missing the horn bit at 107, if you listen to that, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about because it's just not there and it was really obvious to me. I really liked the bit at 248, the take off your clothes bit. Oh, there's a lyric. I got a lyric. Yay. Um, <laughs> Captain likes incredibly <laughs> obvious sexual commentary. Oh, take off yeah. your clothes, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing, there's a lot of backmasking on this track. Sometimes it's on vocals. Sometimes it's just on random sounds. But there's a lot of like backwards stuff in this track, which might not have ended up on the later version. I didn't listen for that on the new official version. Uh, I like the little synth build up at 342 before it all kicks off at 350. I love the weird chords on the synth right there too. Listen to that. And it really kicks off with the crazy vocals, 517. Listen to that. Listen to, just listen to him. And the backing vocals there, great as well. We've said, again, we keep, I keep saying this. We've said this before, but he was just the absolute master of, you know, multi-tracking vocals. And I love that there's a really high note at 552. Bloody amazing stuff then straight to drum and guitar breakdown piano comes in too do we know if it's lisa playing the piano i don't know if it's lisa or prince i can never tell the difference sometimes it's lisa sometimes it's prince going look at me i'm playing like lisa i don't know <laughs> and the talking around 740 really reminds me of some other talking he did in another track it sounds very similar to this but i can't think what it's from international lover maybe oh, yeah. i don't know I can't think. Possibly. Somebody, tell me. Twitter, I don't know. I like, there's a really weird chord at 821, and then a little keyboard run, that's good. Uh, then you get back to the main groove, nine minutes after that diversion. Oh, I'm just telling you things that happen now. And then they've got, you've got those big chords at 918, which he does a few times after that. And then you've got some great drumming. The drumming goes a bit crazy at the end of this, nine and a half minutes through to the end. Again, more crazy kick drum. We've talked about some of the insane kick drum on this disc. There's more here and fills here and there on the drums. And the end, okay, am I the only one who thinks the end of this track is just a pale imitation of the end of When Doves Cry? With that little synth bit it, that goes up it, at the end. It's it so similar. Sound very similar, yeah, it does. And with Graffiti Bridge being the sequel 
to the Purple Rain album. It makes perfect sense to me. So yeah, that's all I've got to say. I just told you all the things that happened. <laughs> Great colour commentary of this piece of music. At 8.21 there's a thing, and 9 minutes there's a thing. <laughs> listen back to the song and listen to all the little things Captain told you to listen to. Do it. Oh, do I like the song? I do, but I still haven't decided if I prefer the Graffiti Bridge version. I'm missing the added things like some of the horns and stuff that are on that, and I'm missing George Clinton even, which, I don't know. He's testing positive. Yeah. This has its pros as well, but yeah, I, I'm like 50-50 right now on which one I like more. The end. All right, let's hand it over to Toe Jam and see if he talks about some of the pros, both the positivity and the pros. Lyricism. Hmm. Toe Jam. I think this is absolute genius. I think this is like, I had chills listening to this that I haven't had chills listening to music for a long time. And I just think it's brilliant. I'm just going to start with that straight up. Um, This is much more cohesive than the Graffiti Bridge version, I think. I think that one's... It's really good, and I listened back to the review we did, and I listened, I listened back to that song a lot of times as well, comparing them. And I think the Graffiti Bridge version is really cool. It definitely has a bit more pop and shine to it. It's got the horns, it's got more synths, it's got a, a more drilling bass. But this, this version is, in terms of the story and the themes, this is so much more cohesive. The Graffiti Bridge version is, it's party time. This, this is a story. This, this one is, has like, this, this is dark. Like this is, this, I think it's possibly as dark as he gets. All right. Dark. Let me talk. Yes. I'll get to it. Yeah. I'll get to it. He okay. says, take off your clothes. That's pretty scary. <laughs> <laughs> Depending on who he's talking to. Yeah. Could be. Uh, let, uh, let me go through it. Okay. So you've got this guitar loop that runs the whole way through the song as it does on the Graffiti Bridge version. Which is a really cool little hooky thing. Uh, you've got drums, live drums going through, finger cymbals, which he liked in this era, Around the World in the Day. The bass on this is just, you know, it's obviously electric bass. It's not a synth bass. And I remember saying in the in our Graffiti Bridge review that I, I didn't like that synth bass in throughout that album. Um, so this one to me is much better. It's just simple Bass guitar hitting hitting the chord notes, just bomb, 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 a lot simpler. Um, you've got the hook, the knee deep hook that I call. Uh, obviously, it's just the synth, but it's a bit lower in the mix. You don't have Eric Leeds doubling it on the horn. This is one of the few songs where I think, I, being a horn player myself, I'm, I'm normally standing up for the horns. And a lot of people, a lot of Prince fans are kind of like, oh, we should just use the synth and not the horns. And I'm normally, no, 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 horns are good, horns are good. But this is one of the few songs yeah. I think, no, no, I think, I think just keeping it simple with the synth is better for this this song. Uh, like Captain said, you've got a lot of backwards vocals, um, and it just sounds so much sleazier. It sounds so much more Red Light District as opposed to, you know, Glam Slam Party. You know, it's it's scary. Like those backing vocals, those, they, they just seep in. But the reason I think the song is dark is that I can't tell in terms of the story, is Prince being, is he honest in the stuff he's saying, or is he just saying what he needs to say to get what he needs to get, if you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and and the girl is questioning him. He's like, no, no, no. You know, I, I think you're great. I think you're perfect and everything. And then obviously you don't hear what the girl says, but he then responds with, no, no, this isn't something I've said before. Well, well, well not to you. Like, um, <laughs> and, but she she's questioning him. Like, are you just saying this stuff to get the nookie? And he's he's kind of you kind of like the, the song is scary. Gotta get the nookie. Wink and nookie. <laughs> <laughs> The song is scary in that respect because you don't know. You think, is this guy just like a sexual predator or is he like genuinely feeling these things for the woman? And I can't, I can't pick it in terms of the story of the song. Well, it wouldn't um, be the first early 80s track which involved things like that. Yeah. You've got 
the extended um, part that Captain was talking about, where that builds each time. You've got a really cool chord progression. Starts with a nice fat minor seventh chord, then to some sort of diminished chord, and these four chords just keep building and building. And each time there's something added to it. So the first time it's just the chords and prints, and then the next time you get Wendy and Lisa adding long notes. The next one you get added um, horn harmonies, synth horn harmonies. Uh, the next one you get more Wendy and Lisa harmonies. The next one you get the higher harmonies, and then the last one you get Prince's big falsetto um, screaming oh, harmony over the how top. How good that's, is that? That's the best and, um, bit in the whole song for me. Just yeah, that, that that high note scream that he does. It's so good. And again, all of this is building. This is like you know the tension within him. He's like he has to fuck this girl. Basically, that's what it's about. It's like it's building. It's building. <laughs> I mean, this is—I is mean—it's all in context. <laughs> that's what it's about. That's what it's—that's what the song's called. So there's a lot going on in this song, but I still—I still don't know how dark this is. But anyway, keep going. That whole—that um, whole section ends with him saying, "You know, blow the candle out. Let's see if it's true," kind of thing. Uh, and then you have the breakdown where the piano comes in, and at that point, things start getting nicer. Yeah. And um, Prince is saying, "This is excellent." But again, I've written—is it—is it the truth or is it a lie? You know, he's, I'm really, really happy. I'm I'm happy. I really am. You know, and that was your intro to the show, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, this is excellent. <laughs> do I really like the show? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Toe Jam. Do you? Yeah, are you truly a part of the show? Are you just getting? Do you just come on here for kicks? <laughs> You'll have to find out. <laughs> um, yeah, but the way the way he says it, like again, she's obviously questioning him, and and the, he's coming up with these kind of cliche responses. But you've got these happy chords in the background. It goes to a major key there. The piano's getting nicer at 722 it starts getting even calmer and nicer uh the piano gets nicer again and he says you know don't let anybody hurt you and at that point you think okay he's being a good guy he's now like but then he's still asking you know kiss me now please please fuck me again he says at one point and then there's this massive scream of orgasm and it's you know but at that point in the song it's happy and you think oh this is all lovely you know this is nice this is all good and then you hear that that weird keyboard sound going ding 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 it's like mm. things are turning in his brain you think what the hell is going on there's a big plane arrival sound that that he uses in 1999 album double kicks start coming in it starts seesawing and then out of out of nowhere you get this low sus 7 chord and and the moment I heard it, I'm like, oh no, I know where he's going. It's going back to dark. And that that was the moment where I had the chills. So I'm just like, this song has built you to think that, oh, he's a sexual predator who turns out nice. But then that low sus chord comes in and it's like, no, this is just all He really is evil. Yeah. <laughs> and it he goes fooled back everybody. Minor, it goes back into that minor key and that's just it's slamming when it does that. Like this song tells a story, and I think it's a dark story. And the fact that, you know, Prince often said in a lot of his interviews when he talks about the way you can use light and darkness in stories, he often said, like, you know, you can do dark things, you can say bad things, provided you resolve it, provided you resolve it in a, in a lovey-dovey way. But this song doesn't. This song goes back to the darkness, the and it finishes thing. on the darkness. And I think for that reason, you know, it's how long is this? Like 10 minutes or something? 10 minutes, yeah. yeah. I, I That's a still review. Yeah. <laughs> I just think this is this is genius at his best. Like he tells a story, and it's a dark story, and there's a lot going on in the song psychologically. I think so, and musically, like the way he tells that story, not only with the lyrics but the music, it's it's brilliant. So I love the Graffiti Bridge album version, and I'll probably listen to that more just because it's cleaner quality and it's got its own cool things as well. But I think this one is. You know, this one is the dark sister lying under the bed waiting to haunt you one day. Like, <laughs> no, well, what's the phrase I was thinking of? The 
you know, the cobwebs in the closet, like they're there. You know, you can pri- you can brighten it up and pop it up as much as possible. But there's there's some dark stuff going on there. I think this is brilliant. You've mentioned this a few times now, the work, dark stuff, dark theme, dark song. But how is the ending of this any different, really, to how a song like Do Me Baby ends with the shivering and the coldness and also the minor key ending? Or, or are you saying that? on a minor key? I don't know. Does it? No, Jimmy Baby's just like uh, right at. I'm talking right at the end. No, I don't think when so. he's naked in that. the studio and he's shivering. I, I think the only other song I can think might compare with this might be a song like Automatic, where mm-hmm. that goes some pretty crazy places too. Well, that's a pretty similar kind of track, actually. Automatic to Weaken Fuck. Actually, but, um, now that I think about it. But yeah, like I don't want to say this is definitely like like I like the fact that you can read it both ways. That happy, you know, major section you can read it both ways. That he's being honest and he's saying, "No, no, I really am happy." You know, don't let anyone hurt you. Or you can read it like this is just pork <laughs> perverse. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's it, because you've got like backwards stuff going on. It's 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 mixed up in a very artistic way. Was like the story that's in this version. Do you get any of that from the graffiti bridge version? Or you had no uh, idea. You can't. No, I think I think you uh, get less. You get you get yeah. much less because I think it's covered it's up there. with all the shine. It's covered up exactly. It's it's all the shine and this the cobwebs have been you know brushed aside, blown but, away. Yeah. Now that they're there, like they are there in the, in the weak graffiti bridge version. If you listen now carefully, you know, now that you know, now exactly, you know exactly. Now you can go back. Exactly. Yeah. Go. Oh yeah. You know what it is too with like Erotic City, you know, there's been debate for years as a, we can fuck until the dawn or we can funk until the dawn. So like when it's we can funk on Graffiti Bridge, it's kind of implied here. It's just like it's we can fuck. That's it. There's no two ways about it. Do you know what mm. I mean? So that's that's where I think the, the song sort of changes in its way where it's either really direct here or what it became on Graffiti Bridge, which was kind of like a, you know, an implied thing. You know what that ho- the, this whole topic makes me think of is this is only, well, what are we talking, like five, six years into his career, well, 82, 83, 84, that, when he yeah. was doing this. He was still, you know, figuring out who he was and also how to make a name for himself and going down this road of using these sorts of words and wearing the clothes that he did, that was one way to do it. But then later on, like Graffiti Bridge, he doesn't need to use those words. He still did occasionally, but he didn't need to call We Can Funk on Graffiti Bridge the title it is here. But back early 80s, he had a lot of swearing in the songs. And it just makes me think, was that just to like push the envelope and get his name out there as, oh, he's the guy who's doing this and saying this and wearing these clothes? Or was that just probably, him? Probably. Both. I, who knows? Who knows? I, I would think it would be a mix of yeah everything, mix mix of those two elements. Maybe a little bit of where he was at from a maturity age perspective, I guess. And, and also, yeah, the, as you said, pushing the envelope. And just all this sexual perversion, like the early '80s, there was just so much of it that he put into mm. songs, and that slowly got less and less. Anyway, I uh, really enjoyed listening to Toe Jam's thoughts on this and his review and his take because i don't hear any of that at all i just maybe i missed it possibly i missed it now we've got to go back and listen again and go oh my god i will (laughs) i mean i've been jamming this hard like this is a mega jam possibly the biggest jam on this entire release uh purely from a timing perspective i mean it's over 10 minutes of funk 
And I'm just going to leave the lyric and thematic content to one side for a second and say, holy shit, this sounds clear. Like the punch in this song when you turn it up loud is absolute bliss. Like it's got a thump. All the instruments are mixed pretty loud. I don't always like that, but everything is turned up pretty loud on this and it's actually nice. It's freaking funky as, it's funky as funk. Now you can figure out what I said there, but it's pretty weird seeing the word F-U-C-K in a song title on a Prince album. And Captain mentioned this earlier, you know, saying he wouldn't have wanted this out, surely. However, my logic says clearly he didn't care enough since it appears that even as we record this show, he didn't leave a will outlining what should and shouldn't come out. So, well, yeah, I mean, what I mean is he didn't want it out while he was here. I'm st- mm. I still say when he was gone, he didn't care because he wasn't here. Not his problem. That's what it appears to, to look like. But, you know, now it's we, for we, us we, to deal with. He's yeah, done. We, we may never know. But oh, coming back to this song and, and thinking about when it was recorded, I actually prefer the title Weak and Funk from the Graffiti Bridge album because it's less obvious which makes the title itself more effective, I think. But, you know, I'll take it. It's from the vault and it's unreleased, so they've called it what they, what they have. And clearly that's what he's singing in the song, so there's no escaping that. For me, some of the musical stuff just absolutely blows my mind. The key change at 3 minutes and 50 seconds is so freaking awesome. I am jamming to this song so much by that point. Like that just, at the 3 minute 50 mark is when it goes from funky to filthy funky it gets inexplicably groovy at that point then his skills uh, his skills his well his skills do come into it but his screams come into it and his screams kill it the drum beat is basically as tight as anything possibly as tight as anything he ever put out or recorded i should say the vocals are out of this world do we know who plays the drums was it him i would assume it's him Sounds that's like Prince, Prince. Yeah, that's his it feel. Sounds like like yeah. sloppy. Yeah, tight him. groove. <laughs> like it's a sloppy tight groove. It, he's, it was always a man of contradictions. Even his drum playing, as funky and in the pocket as it was, there was like a sloppiness to it that it just made it sound rawer. The synth underneath the entire mix is pure Minneapolis funk face making brilliance. And Captain spoke about this next part, his falsetto at the five fifty or five fifty two bit. Yeah. That might just be the best, clearest, cleanest, smoothest falsetto vocal he's ever laid down. It's got to be one of them. Holy cow, Batman, that sounds good. And the song explodes at that point to me. Like when that falsetto bit comes out in the mix, you're like, holy shit, this guy was on another level. Like to lay down that sort of vocal in the studio in the context of this song, He's like letting it all hang out in my mind. Like he's going for broke there. There's no <laughs> care or concern about how do I sound? Am I, you know, am I presenting myself as like this manly new age romantic guy or, or <laughs> like he's like, he's out, like out there with that vocal. <laughs> the finger symbols someone mentioned, I believe this was the first time he used finger symbols in a recorded song or the first time he recorded a piece of music using symbols, finger symbols, I should say. And there's some really weird stuff going on, like weirdness with this heavy breathing. Not, I wouldn't say it's buried in the mix. You can hear it, but it's kind of, it's just there, like creeping over your shoulder. This that's some, of the, that's some of the backward stuff. It's just sort of there and you don't really realize what it is. 
until you really listen, you're like, oh, it's backward stuff. But until you realize what it is, it just sounds weird and creepy. You don't know what yes. it is. Yeah, and maybe that maybe that goes some way to explaining Tojem's take of the creepiness and the darkness of this song. I don't know. I'm going to have to listen to it again. But the piano interlude at 6 minute 20 mark is completely unexpected. Got to remember, I've heard Weekend Funk off Graffiti Bridge hundreds, possibly thousands of times. So when I heard this breakdown where it becomes like smooth jazz light in a smoky little bar somewhere, like it kind of created that scene. That was so unexpected. That was such a left turn. I was like, holy shit, he just broke this song down. And he's he's basically recording the aftermath of the the main event, if you will. Like he was one horny mofo. And to me, again, I just think it's pure sex. I see many songs in his discography as having this conflict between love and sex, sex and God, all, all those sorts of things. But for me, I kind of look at this as it's pretty much on the surface is really concerned about one thing. There may be a bit of an eeriness to how he gets there, to Toe Jam's point, maybe. I've got to listen to it again. But to me, it's like he's pleading for the woman to, there's no polite way of saying this, fuck him again. And the way that he pleads to her is epic. Prince puts himself in the position of I am your, like I'm indebted to you. I'm beneath you. You're above me. He puts the woman in such a, position of authority she's basically the queen and he's like the servant and he's begging her to do it again hilarious very very intriguing psychologically and also i think this sort of thing he's done in the past but maybe not not as overtly as he does on this song what else can i say the last two minutes are basically just pure ear candy the main groove is so freaking good like it just goes on and on and on and on, but it flows really well. Like it's always grooving. Aside from that little piano interlude, this song is grooving all the way through. It's dope. It's pure fire. This song is for pure visceral joy, for pure oral, A-U-R-A-L, <laughs> for pure oral orgasmic yeah, on, pleasure. On a, tr- on a track like this, you do have to clarify which oral you're talking about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's, this is the best thing on here from that perspective. I mean, I almost don't want to say this because he's got so much good material, but on any given day with a few glasses of wine, I could point to this and say this is the best thing he's ever done. Like, clearly it is. Like, um, I would have put Weekend Funk probably in my top, I don't know, maybe 30 songs, but this mm. version, like, this is like potentially in like top 10. Like, it's so damn good. I, it could. It could be. I don't know. It gets me. It's like when I when I hear it, I'm playing it on repeat recently for this review, especially. I was like, "Holy shit, he was the guy!" I like he's always been the week after listening to this album, just listening back and forth between the Graffiti Bridge version and this version. It's just like that song was stuck in my head for like a week. Uh, now that Toe Jam's said his version, you know, this is what it's about. I've I've really got to go back and listen, just like I've got to go back and listen to Computer Blue and listen to I'm it. Not, yeah, I want to clarify. About I'm not being about hell. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying this is a song about Prince being a sexual predator. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you can, like, the way he says all that stuff, like, the way he says, like, um, oh, this is excellent, and, oh, no, 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 I haven't said this to other people. Well, well, not you, kind of thing. Like, the girl is obviously picking up on something, but is he being genuine? And and you're not sure, and the way he says those responses, it's not it's not. Definitive but is it tongue-in-cheek? Is it tongue-in-cheek, though? Because we also know yeah. Prince had a sense of humor, a devilish sense of humor, possibly, but he yeah. was funny as hell. 
as heck. Yeah, well, that's that's the other way you can read it, is that he knows this is a song and he's saying it tongue-in-cheek, knowing that people are listening to this in a humorous way. So, But then you've got that scary chord, which makes you think he is really evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a scary chord. I was no. Yeah. I think I had chills in that I've moment. I've got to go back and hear that. This, I can't wait to hear that. Because like MC said, like you weren't expecting it to go this major key route. And you're like, oh, this is really cool. This is different. And I remember about five seconds before that dark chord came back in, I'm like, he's going to take it Hang dark. On. He's going to take it dark. And then it came in. Yeah. I'm like, oh, he's taking it dark again. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. Now, we've got a player on the show, and he's going to round out our review of this track. Player, what do you think of this song? Yeah, this song's great. It's 10 minutes of oral bliss. But there is that part of me that goes, Prince wouldn't have wanted this on this album. And, you know, you can see that in the evolution of the of this track, like it, Here As We Can Fuck. And then 86, he really worked on it a lot as We Can Funk. And then it ended up on Graffiti Bridge. And then, you know, most recently with Andy Allo, it became We Can Love. So it's kind of gone this evolution of being from like really one end of the spectrum to the other. So, yeah, you know, it's total opposite, isn't it? Yeah. So, oh. you know, in his thought process, he's taken that and taken it from one thing to being another. So we definitely know that he didn't want it on this album, like this version, but historically and all that, it's, it's, it's fascinating to see how, you know, that progression and how it started and just how different the instrumentation is. Like, you know, the most obvious things that besides it being longer is the, the finger symbols are really up in the mix and you can hear that clearly. And those drum feels that he does, you know, it's really his feel and the drums sound a lot different. It's got that sound on it and. You know, on the Graffiti Bridge album, it's got that, you know, that like there's stuff in that that I really love. Like the, you know, it's being sort of George Clinton functified with the, you know, hand clap on the four and stuff. And, you know, there's elements in that that I really like as well. So each time like I hear this, there's, you know, there's different things that, you know, you love about each version. Like, oh, I love this in this version. I love this in this version. So it's really good. I agree with you guys on those changes towards the end is, is really interesting and it's, it's kind of climactic or the oral equivalent of lighting a cigarette kind of thing. So it does go places and it is interesting to hear. Like Tojen said, it is, it is a story. It's a thing that you, around the corner, there's something coming up, you know, it's just the way it plays out is really interesting. So um, it's a great track, but it's probably something that he wouldn't want to have released, but it is, it is pretty dope. I think all of us are in agreement that he wouldn't want this out on, especially on a deluxe version of Purple Rain, right? Like, it just doesn't... It's like, it's just around the corner. We can fuck. It just doesn't make sense. Like, <laughs> clearly, clearly he changed the lyrics, even on the Graffiti Bridge version, because he was uncomfortable with using that word. And then well, maybe so many he's years not later, uncomfortable, but whatever he released, I think that's what he thinks in his mind. Hmm. It's the definitive track, so... Even after We Can Funk, you know, We Can Love, like he took it to another level kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And it's probably in his own personal mind or headspace, that's where he wanted that track to evolve into or whatever. It's an interesting evolution though, isn't it? It's a lot of songs. Yeah. Now that we've heard yeah. this, the three very different. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's the most... That's the most interesting thing about it. Not even like the different instruments in each version, but the thematically how it plays out differently. Hmm. Each version has its own little thing about it. Do you guys think there's a fourth? Like if he went from We Can Fuck to We Can Funk to We Can Love, what do you think the fourth, was there a fourth one? We Can Sleep. 
<laughs> that's our, that's know, our no, audience's no. theme song. Uh, the fourth sleep. one would be some religion <laughs> we can meditation or something. Uh, we can yeah. sit here and close our eyes and stare at the wall or something. We can get a vasectomy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. What was it on, like, Artificial Age about the... Oh, was it Artificial Age where you had that woman talking? Yeah. What was that uh, about? Yeah, I don't know. Suspended animation. It'd be something like that. It'd be some weird like meditation religion thing. Who knows? Mm. Actually, I, w- I would like to hear the, the 86 version now, now that we've been talking about it. Because obviously we've got the 84 version, the 90 version, and the, what was it, 2012, I guess, that would have come out? Something that? like that, yeah. yeah. So it would be interesting to hear the 86 version. The which missing link. Between these, yeah. Player, you know what I think is fascinating? The fan the vote. <laughs> <laughs> the survey results, exactly. What did our listeners think of this track? Where did they place it? Yeah, the listeners rated this very highly. This came second behind Computer Blue with 70. 70- wow. Almost 76%. Wow. The, the two overtly sexual songs, one and two. Yeah. Mm. So, well, what a bunch of perverts. <laughs> so, Fantastic. Yeah, 76%. Oh, there we go. All right, all right. The final song on this Vault and Unreleased disc is a song called Father's Song. When I first read that this was going to be on this release, couldn't believe it, but I was also not necessarily looking forward to it because there is that part in the Purple Rain movie where he plays part of this and it's just an excerpt and I just thought, yeah, it'll be a bit of piano noodling and what's so special about that? It'll be like a novelty. Yeah, we'll hear it, but it's kind of like an instrumental soundtrack piece of music and holy crap was i wrong but the other thing i want to say is when i heard this it took me completely by surprise like i had to stop what i was doing which was listening to the music and writing notes but i literally put my pen down put everything to the side i was just like within about 30 to 45 seconds utterly intrigued completely in the moment paying 100% of my attention to what i was listening to and i was transfixed from the very beginning. And I really didn't think this song was going to do that to me. But before I go into some of my notes, I want to hand it over to Toejam so that he can open up our review of this track with his thoughts. Toejam, father's song. Um, I actually um... don't have a lot to say about this one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> In the sense that, obviously, it's a nice piano song. I've never thought it was anything... Like in terms of the melody, it, it's never struck me as being anything totally amazing. Obviously, it means a lot to Prince and probably his father as well. So in that sense, you can feel something from it because you know it meant something to them. I mean, I'm assuming it's true that it was a song that Prince's father had written and Prince performed. I'm assuming that's true, right? Is it? Is it can anyone... As far as I know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can assume that that's true. And so in that sense, listening to it, it, it is quite powerful piece of music but just on its own like I, I i've never thought it was that special but in terms of the way it's used in the movie as the kind of the brooding theme of you know prince's inner thoughts uh, like it works for that i don't have much more to say about it to be honest it's nice to have because again it completes the purple rain soundtrack and i think we were talking about people have always been trying to make the definitive purple rain soundtrack that has the all the songs in the order and this would be a worthy inclusion on that 
but really it, it does its job it's it, it does its job as, as an atmospheric moody piano based song that represents the kind of inner feelings that and questions and that prince is having through the movie and the way he resolves it um so yes yeah, nicely performed piano piece it's good Whew. okay again not what i expect just like when i first I'll, heard I'll just add, I'll song. Just add, <laughs> not what i expected at all in a lot of the tracks that Prince has done solo piano stuff, like the One Night Alone album, tracks like yeah. Silver Tongue, a few others yeah. scattered here and there, he tends he, he finds it very difficult, also with the Truth album too, I guess. He finds yeah. it very difficult to not tinker with it by putting bells and whistles in it. And I think yes. I think the synthesized bells and whistles actually detract, especially now listening back, because those sounds are so 83, 84, that the moment they come in, it's like, whoa, suddenly I'm taken out of the... I'm I'm just listening to someone play the piano. I'm now suddenly back in 1983. Back in a warehouse. And it, it removes that closeness, I think. It's kind of this... Though Those particular sounds haven't dated, dated very well, unfortunately. Hmm. Interessante, as our Italian friends would say. Uh, player, what are your thoughts on Father's Song? I really like this song. There's things about this version that kind of gets me, though. But all in all, I really love this song. Where do I start? So, I mean, the piano's great. When the synth came in, that really threw me because I was really expecting it to be all acoustic. And, you know, that came in and it sounds very Evangelis and Blade Runner sounding or um, <laughs> Stranger Things, you know, like as a more modern day thing. But the thing Fantastic. that got me was, yeah, the thing that got me was how loud in the mix it was. Like I thought the piano should be like the more dominant instrument and those sort of things should be like so more subtle and in the background. But it's kind of like Tojem was saying, it's kind of trademark prints where these acoustic and albums that, you know, he would throw in these, you know, weird sound effects and, you know, since maybe they weren't as prominent in the mix, but they were there, you know. And there's little like sounds that make it interesting. So it is interesting to listen to. The coda part in the movie, I kind of miss that. I really like that part in the movie. It doesn't feature in the song where the father, Francis L., when he stops playing, his hands are shaking, like that that kind of section. So, yeah, there's things that are just, like, way louder in the mix. But I really like this song. There's even parts in it where I don't even know, if, like, I can't tell if it's a kick drum really low in the mix or if it's Prince banging his foot on a wooden Probably floor. Probably his foot on the pedal or something. Pedals, yeah. yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Like, that adds to the atmosphere of it. But, um, yeah, there's so, there's so many great parts in this, in this track. But I just... Yeah, like Tojin said, the, the synth is very, um, I don't say it's very dated, but it is very much of that era and it is a great song. I really like it. When you guys talk about the synth being of that era and uh, player, you mentioned Vangelis and all this other stuff, Blade Runner soundtrack. That's the thing that I absolutely love about this because it takes Prince's father's melody and whatever else, if anything else, that Prince added to this piece of music. And then it meshes the Nelson family sound, if you will, with artists like Vangelis or Tangerine Dream or Jean-Michel Gere. Like, for that reason alone, I think this is a stunning soundscape and it blew me away the first time I heard it. Like, for me, I mentioned earlier I was transfixed. Once that music started, I could not stop listening. I was absolutely still. I mean, you could hear a pin drop in my room. This might just be the most beautiful, the most stunning, and 
definitely one of the most haunting melodies he's ever played. How much he wrote it, we currently don't know. I would guess that he's probably put some embellishments, some princely embellishments into the melody and into the performance in addition to what his father put down. But holy crap, the necks on the back of my neck stand up, goosebumps all over. It's very melancholic. One of the most beautiful things ever. It is absolutely magical. And it's so touching, so deep. It sounds like it comes from a very deep private place. And I love the idea of Prince sitting down at a piano and taking literally from his lineage, from, you know, his father, the bloodline, that Nelson sound and incorporating his sound at the time, which was the very synth heavy early 80s type feel and creating something like this. You know what's going to be really interesting? Didn't I read that an album from John L. Nelson is going to be released? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's going to be interesting because I've never heard anything of his music. It'll be really interesting to listen to that and just hear what he was doing and if you can hear any sort of influence that came through into Prince's music. I can't wait for that album, actually. Yeah, I think, I think that will be a curiosity, definitely. But, I mean, coming back to Father's Song, all I have to say is W-O-W. Wow, wow, wow. I will never, ever forget the first time that I heard Father's Song in full, this version. And I have to finish my little review by saying that the laughter at the beginning was completely unexpected as well. And it, it's kind of cool that it's there. I don't yeah. know why. It's just it's just a nice to have because it goes from the laughter to something super serious in my mind. And it's just an interesting kind of play on emotions almost, even though it's hardly part of the song. Can I um, just add to my review that I would have loved to have seen this on the piano mic tour. And oh, God. Oh, yeah. That would have been fantastic. And those synths, you know how... He- in the piano mic tour, he was playing piano, but he would trigger something that would put a synth. He had synths underneath it, yeah. Underneath it, that would double as lines. Like, I mean, wow, he could it have great. executed Can it you imagine in a similar way. Went on and, you know and, and he, that's weird. It's weird that he didn't include that because those first was, Paisley Park shows, he was talking about his father and songs that he learned. It's weird that he didn't play that. Maybe this is too close to the heart. Maybe it's too private. It's too deep. This is too deep, I think. He dedicated that piano mic tour to his dad, mm. that whole mm. tour. It would have been great if he incorporated it on there. Oh, and, I just think it was too deep. Yeah. But, like, even with those synths, like, he could have executed it the same way, like, played the piano and still yeah. have that synth over the top of it. It would have been great. He could have done a, a, a duo tour with Jean-Michel Gere. <laughs> anyway. Let's not go that far. Okay. Captain, what are your thoughts of Father's Song? And what did you first think when you heard this? Mm. Well, apart from hearing the parts in the computer blue track, you know, it's the first time I've heard this, just a little piano song as it, you know, originally was, I guess. And it's nice to have it in its original form. And I'm wondering if it's going to be on that album, the John L. Nelson album, if there could be the original version. No, I don't think it is. Oh, Oh, well. Anyway, like Toe Jam, I don't have that much to say. It is a, I mean, it is five and a half minutes, but it is just instrumental. I don't have that much to say about it. But um, I think I could have done without some of the synth strings, though. Like, they are really loud in the mix. They are loud in the mix, yeah. 
and one of you was saying that, you know, like the truth, like Toe Jam said, like the truth album, and he does mostly as well on like acoustic sort of songs. He just, he can't help himself. He always just has to tinker with it. And like MC was just saying, like with these songs that could be too close to home or like more emotional tracks, do you think by him putting on like these weird little things, is that just a way to lighten the mood? I don't know. It's like I, um, I think it's just to be different. I, I think Prince added things often just to be different because every man and their dog plays a solo piano. Every man and their dog just strums a few chords on a guitar. Yeah, but no one did it like so him. He does something different. But no one did it like him. And I yeah, think, maybe. like especially those songs on the Truth album. Now they mightn't have been like super emotional songs, but he still had to add like these weird sound effects and. Was it the breakdown that had the lasers on it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a you know serious emotional song. And then he does something like that. I think it was just a way for him to do an emotional song like that, but then somehow just lighten it up. It's like, yeah, you know, it's not that serious. Look, there's lasers. Doesn't, want, on. doesn't want to show he's, he's 100% of what he's feeling, yeah. maybe. Something, something like that. But there's some dark chords that he goes into with the, yeah. the synth lines. Like you know, in this, dun, 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 you know that sort of mm. yeah, his fingers didn't just slip. Yeah, it's very dramatic kind of chord progression. Like the most interesting part in this track, it starts about three twenty-three for about the next minute, and that's a whole part that I've never heard before. Like that's not in Computer Blue, it's not in the Purple Rain movie anywhere, and it's just um totally unheard that part. So. Yeah, like I said, I don't have that much to say. It's just instrumental. But yeah, some of the synths could have been just turned down a bit. But again, that could have been just, this is a serious emotional song. But hey, look, there's, here's a big synth solo for three minutes. <laughs> so it's not that serious. Don't worry about it. I don't know. The end. Hey, that's the end. Okay. Player. It's the survey. Father's song. The last Where track. did it come? Okay, so if you haven't worked it out by now, <laughs> with all the other tracks, uh, Father's song has come fourth. At sixty-two percent, yeah. So it's pretty high. Pretty high. It's top really really high for an instrumental. Mm, I wasn't the only one. Yeah, wow. people are loving it. Yeah, I, I think, think that's also too because it's um, you know, it's of the Purple Rain era. It's part of this project, so you it's know, part of the movie. It's part of Computer Blue. Yeah, and I think the association with his father as well get, puts it up there for some people. It makes it more something. I don't know. It, it's more to it. Just because of that connection with his dad, I think people like this song. Could do. Could be. Player, survey summary for Purple Rain Deluxe Edition. Just to recap the results for this particular album from 12 to 1. As I mentioned before, yes, there is 11 tracks, but we've divided Roadhouse Garden and Our Destiny separately. So with that in mind, Velvet Kitty Cat came 12th at 26%. 11th was Katrina's Paper Dolls at 27%. Number 10 spot was Our Destiny at 32%. 9th was Love and Sex at 44%. 8th was Roadhouse Garden at 52%. 7th was Possessed at 53%. 6th was Electric Intercourse at 54%. 5th, these are the top 5 now, 5th was The Dance Electric at 57%. 4th was Father's Song at 62%. Third was Wonderful Laughs. I still can't believe Father's Song got so high. Above the Dance Electric. Wow. Third was Wonderful Laughs at 70%. Second was Track 10, We Can Fuck at 75%. And a massive 86% 
coming in at first was Computer Blue Hallway Speech version. So that Hallway is, Speech. That is the countdown. And like looking over it overall, I kind of agree with that track listing. Maybe not you, Captain, with Father Song that high, but mostly. So that was that. So thank you very much for that. Let's get into the other parts of the survey. Yeah, what else is in there? Okay, so just to give you an idea, 74% of people that took this survey bought the three-disc version. 10% only did the two-disc version. So a lot of the people that took part in the survey are quite hardcore Prince fans, with uh, 66 of them buying the physical format. All the others were like streaming. We asked people how did they feel about overall the Purple Rain reissue. 55% said they were satisfied with this release and... 39% saying it's good, but they were expecting more. Uh-huh. So only, what, 55% were satisfied? Yes. Interesting, interesting. That, that's the highest result. Mm. Just to backtrack a bit, the out of 10 rating for Purple Rain Disc 2, The Vault, and previously unreleased, the highest was 9 out of 10 at 27.38%. Well, it's, it's definitely the best disc, I think. Yeah. Another question we asked was about the packaging, the booklet, the pictures, the liner notes. You've got the choices of excellent, good, neutral, fair, and poor. And 50% rated it as good, and 35% rated it as excellent. Just, oh, really? Yeah. The packaging's really mixed for me. I, I really like the silver platinum look they've got in the cover with the flowers and the fold-out parts. But, you know, like the booklet, I like I love the Susan Rogers liner notes. That's great. But you know, like I wish there was more detailed on the unreleased tracks and like more accuracy. There's yeah. virtually nothing there for that, which was a bit of a downer for me. The other thing that I thought was weird was like every second page is that photo shoot from the When Doves Cry video. Yeah. Um, like there was like no other photo shoot. Photos, ever. Yeah. And if you think about the Purple Rain tour book, there's some really cool photos in there of Prince wearing the mirrored glasses and smoke behind him and, you know, those sort of things. And a lot of live shots from the Purple Rain era with the cloud guitar and stuff. I don't know if it's a copyright issue with photographers, if that was the issue of, or if it was rushed. Uh, as cool as those photos are of the When Doves Cry photo shoot, I thought, you know, okay, I've seen this, like, you know, it was just kind of like you turn the page and there it is again. And it's just like, you know, <laughs> come on, you know. So I was kind of a little bit let down by that. So... If they're going to be doing this sort of thing, I think they should dig around a bit more and get a bit more creative with it. So, yeah, the majority thought this was good. I'm surprised at the number of people who thought, what was this one about? The liner notes and the booklet and the packaging. Yeah, yes. I'm surprised that that many people think it's good or great because I think what the packaging's horrible. Like, what, I, what, I don't, what I don't like? own it, but I had one. And, you know, the, you just look at it and the discs just fly out everywhere. It's ridiculous. Why couldn't they just put it in a jewel case? I hate these digipack stupid things. They're crap. And just the overall, the li and the mistakes in the liner notes as well. So yeah, I don't a know. Lot of mistakes in liner notes. I, I don't know all the people who think it's great or good. Do they just not know that there's so many mistakes in the booklet, or they don't care? I I don't know, I don't know how they can still say it's great. It's it's hard anyway. to say. There is a website called Super Deluxe Edition. They do a lot of things about remasters and releases like that. They actually did a YouTube video on the unboxing of this Purple Rain disc set. And they actually, the first half of the video, they concentrated solely on the Purple Rain and, and all that. But the second half of the video actually showed other artists' remastered packages and how mm. they did deluxe booklets and jewel cases and where things don't fly out and stuff like that. That's really interesting to see. So mm. check out Super Deluxe Edition, the Purple Rain review, and you'll see 
some of the other things that they could have maybe possibly used in this. Oh, and you know, if you want to get like the actual correct information, check out What's the name of that guy who's got the the book coming out? Dwayne Tunnell. Wait for that book to come out because that that's what I'm waiting for. Yeah, I think we'll um we'll actually get either Wayne on the show or review the book because it's a it's a stunning piece of. It's uh, gonna be a good one. Yeah. What else? What else? Um, do do, do you have a do you have a your thoughts about the packaging? Did you like the packaging? I like the look of it. I like the booklet. I kind of agree with what you've said about the pictures. I hadn't thought about that until as I was flipping through it, as you're saying, I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's like the same photos over and over with, and I think it's the um, same show that the live photos are from as well. Yeah. Right. Mm. But I do like the silver look. My, mine is a bit torn. When I opened mine up, I tried to get one of the discs out and it ripped a bit. I was a bit annoyed about that. But yeah. See, that's I mean, just, oh, that's just, I would be so angry if I'd just bought it and, you know, some of them, the, the discs fly out because it's too loose. Some of them were too tight. You couldn't get the discs out. It's just crazy. Yeah. Oh man. One of the other questions we asked is, what would you have liked to have seen on this release? 25% said you would like to see more unreleased songs from this era. That was the most popular selection. And the second one was less edits and or multiple inclusions of the same tracks. Yeah. They were the two most things that people wanted. Other things they would, would have liked to have seen was a documentary of the making of Purple Rain with Revolution members. The inclusion of the associated artists from the Purple Rain movie, uh, more live video footage from Purple Rain tour, because that you know they did Syracuse, but there is other ones, Atlanta. Yeah, there are a few other like pro shot yeah, concerts which is. exist. I think the Atlanta one from memory though is just a single camera shot from memory. There but is there Atlanta. are there's a couple others, yeah. But there is a couple that are multi camera shots. So you know that would have been cool. I mean, it's good to have Syracuse from. VHS to DVD, even though the transfer wasn't 100%, but it's good to have that. But it would have been nice to have some more different kind of... Because, you know, Princess does every every show differently, so that would have been and, really cool. And supposedly that August 83 show is on its way sometime in the future, so at least we'll have that maybe one yeah. day. Yeah, that's definitely something that some people wanted in the vote. Something you just said a minute ago, you said making of Purple Rain movie. I just thought something I've never heard anyone mention. Where is like the blooper reel for Purple Rain? There has to be some behind the scenes footage, mm. unless it just all got taped over or deleted or whatever they did to it. There must be something that exists somewhere because that would be really cool. It would be really cool, yeah. No matter what it was, even if it was just the most boring thing, it'd still be interesting to watch. I'd watch that. Yeah. What else we got? Last one? Well, the last thing we got people to do was rate the whole package out of 10. Oh, here so we go. This is for track selection, content, sound quality, booklet, liner notes, photos, presentation as a whole. And at 29%, this overall from the listeners got 8 out of 10. 29%, yeah. Yeah, 29% rated this 8 out of 10. So pretty high. Like, I think people are excited to get new material and three discs plus a DVD. It's good value for money. So hopefully future releases we get more like this and better. Well, yeah, I just wonder if this is... I don't know. It seems like this is just a one-off thing, though. Whether the estate themselves have a plan to release things in the future, this was Warner Brothers. This is a totally separate thing. This was the Prince, the Joshua Welton remaster of the album, tracks that Warner Brothers had in their possession, not even from the vault, and a bunch of officially released tracks. So this is sort of a weird thing 
anyway. But going yeah. forward, who knows what the estate's going to do? They've been very quiet about any future plans they've got to release anything, whether it's going to be you know more like deluxe editions of albums or just vault tracks or whatever it's going to be, but they haven't said a thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of legal tussles that they're mm. they're involved but we don't, in. But, but we, should don't, be we a, don't care about that. Yeah, we we, we, we don't we'll, care. No, we do because it ties up the it bumps the release schedule of all this stuff. Like the sooner they can work this stuff out, the, the sooner we can get to hear all this stuff. But that's the thing. All I care about is hearing the music. I don't care about all this, the, you know, the drama that goes on. Just give me music, whether it comes from the vault or it comes from a cassette tape in someone else's basement. I'm really not bothered where it comes from. And just on disc two, there was one more question where we gave multiple answers. It was, how did you, f- how do you feel about disc two? And select all that applies. The highest was they people wanted more unreleased tracks from this era at twenty eight percent. Followed by it's great, but I was, I was expecting more at twenty percent. Followed by the disc is awesome. Warner Brothers did a good job of track selection and sound quality for this too. That was at twenty percent. I think that was the one that I chose, right? Because yeah, you know, knowing that they didn't have access to you know original master tapes and stuff, and they used what they had access to, you know, for what it is, I think it's they did the best they could. Yeah, well, fourteen percent. Don't believe these tracks are sourced from Paisley Park Vault, but from engineers or circulating bootlegs. Yeah. And yeah. 17% don't believe these unreleased tracks is what Prince would have wanted released. So some pretty high scores uh, there. I don't know about that one. Again, if he didn't want them released, he could have prevented that. <laughs> he could have. Well, this is the thing. This depends on where this music is sourced. If it comes from Prince's vault, yeah, he could have gone in there and chucked the tapes or erased over them or whatever. But if they're sourced just... from engineers, that's, that's from their own personal collection, he doesn't have any control over that. So mm. we can fuck yeah. may not be in the vault. He may have erased that, mm. cut it up. But yep. like some other engineer from 84 may have had, hey, look, I've got this. This can go on this release, you know. Here you go, Warner Brothers. Yeah, it may not be what he wanted. It's funny, there's a lot of people, I think, in the, in these Prince circles go, oh, yeah, I knew Prince best. This is what he would have wanted. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, well. that, that is the survey result. Thank you for all voting. Thank you for the people that supported Yay. it. And stuff you to the one that didn't. <laughs> okay, so after... All of the music that we've now spoken about, reviewed, I mean, it's been, we've been rolling for days, hours and hours and days and days to get through this vault unreleased material. And it's been a journey. We are in this weird position of hearing songs that never came out while Prince was alive. And we are listening to them and talking about them and discussing them and enjoying them. And I want to get your final thoughts, Peach and Black Panel, of this disc and what it means to you hearing all of this stuff as we have as part of this Purple Rain Deluxe Edition with a slight twist though. 30 seconds or less from each Peach and Black podcast member. What does this disc mean to you? Player. This is very hard for me because there is elements that like each disc has its own issue. The first disc is the mastering. The second disc is you know, some of the song selections and faults and maybe what he made wanted and not wanted. The third disc has got the edits and some of the issues and dropouts and stuff. So 
each disc has something about it that's you know not quite perfect but overall put it all together it's an amazing set and there's a lot of people in the prince community that are sort of reignited and fall in love with this era era all over again and i'm one of those people as well like as a whole set especially if you're a new prince fan as we said earlier if you're a new prince fan and you get to hear this all like for the first time like what an amazing thing to to hear so I i think it's it's really great to have but on the other hand they could have taken a bit more care in the execution and presentation and and all that so i wish there's a couple of things that i wish they would have done one is um taking their time with it a bit more consult the fans maybe have a a team of people that bring in alan leeds bring in Questlove, bring in peach and black podcast bring in the prince community like like sort of gauge how it is there's a guy that's bringing out a book later this year Dwayne tudal who's doing like a whole thing on this era that he's researched for years it's going to be a fantastic book and like get him in to get these people in and you know, have a, like a really good documentation of the era. Like if they're going to do this with other releases, Prince releases, there should be more consultation and more care. Do it right. Yeah, just so that we can get the legacy right, you know, the first time. So that's 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 my thing of Purple Rain Dogs. Man, 30-second elevator speech. He went deep. It was like three and a half minutes after rambling. And, and, and I have to say, I agree <laughs> with everything you said pretty much, actually. <laughs> passionate, passionate reviews. Toe Jam, 30 seconds or less. Ha ha. I'm going to limit my talk is just about this disc too. I think it's yeah. I think there's some really stellar material. I think a lot of it is actually quite stellar in terms of the songs and the production. Obviously, the Dance Electric killer mostly. Computer Blue absolute killer. We can fuck absolute killer. Love and Sex is a very cool song for a new one. Wonderful ass, awesome song. And then you've got some ones that are more on the demo side of things, but that, but that's not a bad thing. Again, as a collection of outtakes, this is kind of like an overview of you know, hey, this is what lurks behind the vault doors. It's a good release. I mean, we can't not say something about the fact that it does sound like most of them are sourced from cassette tapes and not the original master tapes. So I think I said at the beginning of this review that does concern me about the state of those master tapes, and I just hope they're being taken good care of in the future. So overall, I think Disc 2 is definitely the standout of the set. I think it's worth getting just for Computer Blue and We Can Fuck Alone. We can fuck alone. I haven't heard that song. No. <laughs> That's the remix. Captain. <laughs> Captain. Let's see if you can do it. 30 seconds or less. Elevator pitch. What Ooh. do you think of disc two? Okay. One of the weirdest things is that now we shouldn't really be referring to these tracks anymore as outtakes. They are officially released. And that's just a strange thing to my brain. After these titles and stuff have been around for so long, some of them we only just found out, but it's weird. They're official tracks now chances are we wouldn't have heard these tracks in prince's lifetime anyway so it is sort of like a a bittersweet thing to be reviewing these tracks but having said that i've got something to say about the fact that we now have access to these tracks officially if prince had lived another 20 30 years and maybe he got to like 90 years old 100 years old the truth is it's likely we would have never heard these tracks in our lifetimes so I don't know how to say it, but, you know, it's like a blessing in disguise because in no way am I saying that I'm glad he's not here anymore, but the fact is that he is gone and the result is we get to hear these tracks now. So there is an upside to that and I'm glad that I get to hear this stuff while I'm still alive to hear it because if he'd lived forever, this probably wouldn't have come out until after that. So that's about all i got to say. It's a great disc. 
it's about a billion times better than disc one. Uh, it's about a million times better than disc three. <laughs> and again, like I said at the start, sound quality, I've just accepted it as it is because there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing anyone could have done about it because these haven't come from the vault. These mm. are just Warner Brothers basement. Oh, here's a shoebox full of cassette tapes. So it is what it is. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, I have to say, Captain, on the bittersweet point, I, I agree with you. And it's really weird to talk about because we all know that it's so unlikely that we would hear this stuff. Potentially, we would never hear it. And mm. best case scenario, we would hear it many, many years from now. By that time, we would be old and gray, potentially. That's the best case scenario. So it's a really trippy feel. But in, in other ways, I don't feel guilty or, or no. odd because I, I actually feel every time he recorded a piece of music, he was building his legacy and he must have known that he was recording so much music that would never be released, could never be released. His pace of recording and performing and doing all that stuff was so quick that he was building up this vault. And, and in a way, I see this in a much more positive light. I see anything that comes out after his incredibly unfortunate passing, but nevertheless, he's not around anymore. And the reality is that his legacy is this sort of stuff. It's not just the recorded stuff that everyone's heard. It's not just his live performances and his artistry and, and the books and the videos and all that kind of stuff. And his philanthropic work and his charity work and all that, his, his social contribution. It's all the stuff that we haven't heard yet. And this is the first taste. And I'm incredibly grateful, regardless of the sound issues or the packaging or the remastering or whatever. But as far as Disc 2 is concerned, this is the best thing by a long stretch that has been released by anyone anywhere since his unfortunate passing in April 2016. And it's crazy to think that all four of us and all of the Prince fans around the world can just press play on the disc or press play on their streaming provider and listen to, to this sort of music in, on the whole, incredibly good quality, especially as far as the vault and, and unreleased material is concerned. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that it's come out. I'm grateful that we all got a chance to listen to it. And I'm grateful that we've got this podcast as a platform for us to share our thoughts with you guys. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's really heartwarming to be a Prince fan because you know how much he contributed to the world in the form of music. You know, that was his art form. That was his major contribution to the world. And uh, what more can I say? Let the floodgates open. Let's mm. see what else there is. They're because open. They're uh, open. <laughs> They are open, yeah. And uh, you're right, Captain. This is no longer unreleased material. It's out there now. And uh, I think we all benefit. Just can't believe we've got it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. So with that, it's been another long, hopefully entertaining Peach and Black podcast episode. We've put our heart and soul into this. We appreciate the support. Thank you for all of our listeners. Thank you for everyone who voted in our Peach and Black Purple Rain Deluxe Edition survey. Player did a lot of work behind the scenes on that and has been reading out the survey results. But, you know, it has been fantastic to get an insight into what you guys think about this release. And in some cases, you disagree with us and, you know, there's some contradiction there and all this sort of stuff. But it's all good because it's it represents not only what we have to say, but what, what you guys think of it. So with that, if you haven't, and I highly doubt this, but if you haven't subscribed to us on iTunes, please do so. If you haven't left us a rating on iTunes, please do so. And you know what? If you're completely only, lazy, only if it's a good rating. 
it's a bad one, just don't worry about it. We take all comments. I don't, I don't what mind. It? What is it, like out of five stars? Well, you can do a rating or a review. And if you're truly lazy, even a rating would be fantastic. We'd really appreciate that. But seriously. As long as it's a full ride. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Ones and twos, seriously. we don't want to see that. Seriously, we, we do this show as a labor of love as far as our Peach and Black podcast is concerned. And it would be great to uh, get a little bit more, um, bit more of a spotlight on the iTunes page. So please go over there and show your support. If you can, uh, and YouTube check out. and Twitter and Facebook Listen to yeah. the podcast, it's absolutely Def- free. Definitely wow. check, definitely, definitely check out the uh, <laughs> our YouTube page and uh, Twitter. As the guys mentioned, Facebook, our Facebook page gets a lot of good activity, which is fantastic, and we hope to keep growing that. Yeah, Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. All I, all I can say is thank you for listening, and we will be back with more Peach and Black Magic in the future. Uh, uh, last thing. Captain says, Captain has a podcast. Go listen to that. Check it out. I have a podcast as guys keep referring to me as MC. They just, they can't let it go. But Rob S is the name I go by. <laughs> I will never let go of MC Slow-Mo. Let go. <laughs> uh, so that podcast is out there as well. You can find, I think, is Captain Says on iTunes? I wouldn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I have well, no look, idea. Google for Captain Says podcast. some website and... So it just happens. I don't know how the internet works. So just Google Captain <laughs> Says Podcast and you can find Captain Says at Twitter. Twitter handle Captain. Is it Captain underscore says? Captain underscore says. And you can find the Obsessed by Music podcast on iTunes. I know that as a fact. You can also Google it and uh, it's being released via Libsyn as well. And you can find me at Twitter handle the Rob S player at twitter handle d-n-a-p-l-a-y-a and DNA as player. all dna player twitter handle to and as usual send to all the complaints and whinges to toe jam on twitter <laughs> exactly and uh, with that we're out of here catch you guys in the next episode i am about to collapse it's been a mammoth review peace podcast 